I'm Chuck Norris, and I approve this game. Welcome to the Roll for Initiative Podcast. The Roll for Initiative Podcast, volume number three, issue 113. I am GM Vince, and I am sitting alongside DM Matt today. Hello, everyone. Welcoming back DM Nick, who missed the show. Hey, folks. Hi. And bringing back a voice from the past, a ghost, an enigma. His name is Crispy. What's up? How you been, Chris? Uh, busy, but pretty good. We haven't heard from Chris probably since volume maybe one, two. Yeah. I did. Uh, I think the last thing I did was the Desert Adventures show, but I had to bow out halfway through because of another obligation. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. You haven't been around in a while then. Yeah. Yeah. It's been yeah, a while. How's life been treating you? Pretty good. Uh, got a new job, going to school, have my own podcast that I work on. Oh, you have tell. <laughs> Oh, it's the the Critical Wits podcast starring me and also some other guy, but we don't want to talk about him. Oh, it's all about What's the and, show? Uh, uh, it's about D&D, all kinds of different versions of D&D, and it's not really edition specific. It's more about like uh, ideas that happen in role-playing games. Mm-hmm. I guess so it's the best way to say it. It's kind of more like a fantasy podcast uh... Kind of, but it, it's framed around, like, how it is incorporated into a game. Hmm. All right. Well, how can people listen to this podcast, Chris? You can find us on iTunes at Critical Wits Podcast or go to our website at criticalwits.info. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or you can find us uh, through osrgaming.org. You can find Crispy and all Crispy goodness there, or you can contact Crispy via this podcast or whatever else. So uh, let's head over to uh, Nick. Yes, sir. We want you to pimp for us today. Oh, the old pimp in the stars. Yeah. uh, The Godfather's music, Matt, in the background. Will do. The pimp in the stars. (laughs) Anyway, go ahead. Oh, please don't do that again. (laughs) Anyway, but uh, just remind everybody, you can find us on iTunes as, as normal. You can... Type in Roll for Initiative on iTunes Store in the search, and you can find us on all the downloads there, and you can give us reviews. We got a new one from, I think, someone familiar to us all from certain forums by the name of Celestian. Yay! And Celestian says, back on track, gives us five stars, and says, the new collection of hosts has brought me back to the show. Entertaining information about AD&D. My only complaint... I need an episode a day to listen to while I work. Well, I'm, the question is, you're working, dude. You shouldn't be listening to us while you're working because I don't want to get you fired. And but really, thank you anyway, Celestian. So, yeah. <laughs> and really, Mike, you play in my game every every two weeks. So how much more do you want from us, dude? I mean, come on. <laughs> <I'm kidding. laughs> We're giving blood here, man. Yeah, I can't take blood. I don't know, man. That, that's too much Vince for me. It's too much Vince for you? Yeah, yeah like... I get sick of him just from doing podcasts with him. But Couldn't imagine playing at a game. Not enough. Christopher Walken to <laughs> listen hey, to. Oh. Wow. Uh-oh. 
dueling Christopher can you handle <laughs> crazy weird you came in here doing your walking <laughs> dueling Christopher Watkins look out yeah, at one point, Chris, you were doing uh, what was it? You were doing sod with me, and then we were doing the sh- the actual play podcast, and then RFI the day after. I know and it was crazy. It was Those like a podcast extravaganza. It was a podcast extravaganza <laughs> for a marathon. Yeah. yeah, it was on everyone's show. It was the golden age of of Wild Games Productions. Well, at least your golden age. <laughs> anyway. So if you want to get a hold of us, that's RFISTAFF at gmail.com, or you can give us a call at 570-865-4210. That's our hotline. Our hotline. Where <laughs> hotline. Ooh. Ooh. All right, Chris, you watch it. Let's edit this some sage advice. Sage advice. Sage advice this week. We have one voicemail and a couple emails. So let's just head to the voicemail. Let me let me say about Nick, who do you think this voicemail's from? Mm, uh, let me think. Someone that we haven't heard from in a long time. No. My only other guess would be DM Kojo. <laughs> you're right. Oh jeez. <laughs> Uh, you know, DM Kojo, you're great, dude, but we need other people calling in. No, no, no. I want DM Kojo to call in every show. I want to, I want seven shows in a row with DM Kojo. <laughs> well, Third, I'm glad he has questions. I think we have three in a row now, I believe. So, Wow. We, we should have the play. DM Kojo ticker just for consecutive shows he calls in. Yeah. <laughs> He should have his own segment. DM Kojo, you hear that? We yeah. want you to do your own segment. DM Kojo <laughs> does his own segment. Pull a Julie on us and give us a nine and a half minute phone call. Oh, oh God. God. <laughs> no. <laughs> and here's DM Kojo's message. Hello, rollers of the initiative. This is DM Kojo. With a question today about NPC spellcasters. Specifically wondering how much do you flesh them out in your game? I tend to be a very detailed-oriented kind of DM, and so I like to really flesh out my NPCs, at least the ones who are going to be either big bads or or significant uh, aids to the party. With spellcasters, especially higher-level ones, it can get a little cumbersome, like... My current campaign is a big, bad, evil cleric at the end. So setting up all the spells in advance that this cleric has for the day, uh, I went ahead and just kind of picked them and fleshed them out on a character sheet. But uh, I also have um, sometimes the magic users with their spell books, which include more spells than just what they've memorized for that day so i'm kind of curious how you handle that i kind of like to create their entire spell book although that does take a lot of time sometimes i do it through random rolls sometimes i pick the spells i want uh, create a whole big spell book which i you know attach to their npc sheet and uh so i'm wondering how you guys do it do you just wing it pick them out of the book on the fly do you just give them spells that they've memorized that day or do you go ahead and flesh out a whole character that you know you can refer back to in their entire spellbook? because inevitably it seems like the 
players kill the NPC spellcaster, and the magic user get their spell book, and they want to know what spells are in there, they can try to learn. So I like to have that stuff in advance. I'm curious how you guys do it. Keep up the great work. Thanks. Bye. All right. Well, thank you, DM Kojo. Uh, well, let's go around the table here. What do you uh, What do you think, Nick? Um, I think I have to go with DM Kojo for the most part. Um, when it comes to at least my players, yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat there. They generally kill the evil big bad guy and take his m- magic items, including his spell book, you know, if he, they can find it. Um, that being said, yeah, I do tend to take the time to have that spell book fleshed out with all his spells in it. So I won't waste game time in there, and I'll have the list ready for them. So, so yeah, that's that's something I definitely do beforehand. As far as like whatever spells you know per day, yeah, um, I guess I'm a little loosey goosey with it as far as what they memorize. I mean, it all depends on how I guess the the NPC spellcaster is involved. I mean, if he's pretty high level, I. I try to throw a lot of minions against the players before he, it gets to him. But I'll, I'll uh, you know, just like throwing out various types of like, you know, monsters that he might have in under his control or, um, you know, maybe, you know, brigands or, or some other, you know, types of creatures that he has to under his sway. I tend to throw those at the player characters first before they really get to him. And even then, I I'm really big on using like uh, you know monster summoning for for the uh, for the magic user to so they he could protect himself even at the very end or some other type of spells that will like either uh, you know like charm person or uh, something of that nature if we get really down to to it sure a lightning bolt or a fireball might be used but uh, yeah I'll have that spell book all done. And if and when they do defeat him, if he doesn't escape somehow, then yeah, I'll I'll have something printed out for them and say, okay, here's the spell book, I, and I might have it magically worded or something like that too. So I I mean he's an evil magic user. He, uh, you got to play him to the hilt. He's not going to make it easy for the for the player characters to get all the stuff. So you know once they defeat all those sorts of things yeah i'll hand them over a printed sheet it's like here's all the spells per level this guy had so i i guess i guess it's best how you know your players so you just hand it over to them the sheet what yeah you don't say oh by the way you can't read it and that's what the purpose of read magic would be or well no they have read magic already do you wait for them to no you don't you're missing what I'm saying. You don't have them cast read magic to read the spell book? Oh no, I will. I'll have oh. them do that. Absolutely. Oh. So they and once they do that, yeah, then they'll then I'll like, okay, here's the spell list uh of what's in there. I, I, I you know, I'm not really all too specific on it, you know. It's like yeah, they gotta go through those roundabout things about, you know, yeah, gotta cast read magic, at least know what's in the spell repertoire. But other than that, I don't really go into all too much detail on it. Hmm. And what about you, Chris? Uh, as I've said in the past, I hate preparing. <laughs> so if they are going to fight an NPC spellcaster, I think where I differ with uh, Nick here is I don't use the same player rules usually for NPCs. 
like I'll base them off like this guy is a spellcaster, but he won't necessarily be um he won't be contained by the same set of rules that a, a PC spellcaster would be. So I can kind of have him do what I want to do and kind of eyeball it. Um, and if he does have a spell book, to me, reading an enemy spell book or like deciphering a scroll or something like that, that's a downtime activity. Yeah. Um, partly because I, I don't want it to interfere with game time. Like you don't have I would just tell them they don't have enough time at that moment to decipher the spell book. But at the same time, um, it gives me time to go in my downtime for like the little bit of prep work that I do to kind of work out that spell book and give them what they get. Hmm. And at the same time, it's like rolling to see if you can learn the spell and whatnot, your, your percentile roll and everything. Right. So, but you let them read it with read magic just to see what it is pretty much. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I've, every spell book is kind of written differently. So like, um, how I usually handle it is you can tell something is magical writing just by looking at it if you're a wizard, but you can't read it without casting read magic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. A lot of people fail to remember that, and I think they got rid of that in later editions. I don't understand why, but I guess for the simplicity of the game. Yeah. Which kind I think of in third edition, I think it's like an at-will thing. You can just cast read magic as a cantrip. Yeah, I think that somewhere along the lines it kind of got really vague on the whole read magic thing mm-hmm. hmm. and matt for me i only thing i really plot out is the spells they actually know for the day i as for like writing down everything in their spell book i don't i just kind of take the list of should the players get the spell book i just take the master list of spells and be like okay Oh, I think you'd have about this many first level, this many second level, and as they go to read it, I just kind of roll and make it up on the fly what's actually in the spell book. Because really, and typically I'll make them see if they actually cast, are able to actually learn the spell before even telling them what it is. Say like, okay, make a roll for this spell. Okay, you now realize it's a burning touch. Okay, you now know that. Or, oh, nope, you can't read it. You're not sure what it is. So that yeah. way, I can I just adjudicate it on the fly, as opposed to getting bogged down with spellbook inventory. Yeah, sometimes you just got to let them do it on the side and not take up a lot of time during the adventure, but... Right, I, that's why I that's why I prepare the, the, the spellbook on, you know, on my time. So when they do have time, quote-unquote time in-game, like they get to a town or something like that, then the 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 spellcaster in the group can take the time to do the read magic, and then it's like, okay, this is what's in his spell repertoire in that spell book. Yeah, that works out. That's how I would pretty much do it. So we have some emails, right? Yes, we do. Go so for it. We got two of them here, and we have our first one goes starts greetings. Let me begin with a brief introduction. My name is James, or DM James, as folks are addressed around here these parts. While I missed old school gaming the first time around and didn't really sink my teeth into the hobby until second edition AD&D, my older brother turned me onto the hobby initially, and I've always had a passion for old school gaming. I've been playing and DMing since the tender age of eight. I've always Wave my gamer nerd banner with pride. Well, cool. So have I. 
While RFI has always floated around on my radar, I never really paid much attention to the show itself. And shame on me for that. Yeah. Shame, <laughs> yeah. shame. Shame on, shame on you. <laughs> Bad monkey. In the past month, the RFI podcast has become my listening choice during my 45-plus minute commutes to and from work, and I absolutely love the show. Wow. I thought I had a long commute. I regularly mix it up, not taking the episodes in order and throwing in an episode of the quest for the Book of Sorrows when I'm feeling froggy. Hey, I was in that. Yeah. Hi, lads. It's nice to meet you. (gasps) Frask is here. (laughs) I love both the show and the actual play. So far, I've only cherry-picked the episodes that relate to topics I find particularly appealing. But soon enough, I'll have to break down and listen to the entire back catalog. Your show is just that darn good. Your podcast has helped me stay inspired and motivated as I work on material for my old, old-school publishing endeavors. Hmm. I'm the owner-slash-operator of Barrel Writer Games which deals primarily with supplements for Goblinoid Gabe's Labyrinth Lord line. While it isn't exactly AD&D, the feel and tone of the show, as well as the wonderful banter between the hosts and diverse subject matter, are enough to keep me glued to my speaker. Not literally, but I keep a universal solvent in the glove box, just in case. Uh-huh. <laughs> Streamless plug, Barrel Writer game products are available for digital download on RPGnow.com and DriveThroughRPG.com. Well, cool. And uh, on the side, I always thought Labyrinth Lord was kind of cool. Oh, yeah. Well, here's the thing about Labyrinth Lord, because I want to add on to that. You can play a something kind of akin to first edition with mm-hmm. the AEC. So, yeah, I mean, they, have an, they have an advanced edition rule set for Labyrinth Lord. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's I I consider, you know, a a long lost brother to AD&D first edition. So it's like, Hey, well, I mean, all those old editions, they're completely incompatible. Oh yeah. So that's kind of the trouble about it. <laughs> uh, the clones are meant to be out there in case you want to try it and you're a new player and you don't yeah. want to invest the money. That's why they're there. Yeah. So it's a, and he goes on to say enough of my ramblings, keep up the good work. And if you're interested in a guest co-host, I'd be humbled and honored to sit Amongst such excellent and admirable gamers, sincerely, DM James, aka the lot, the last Hobbit. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, definitely. If we want to come on and, and guest star, we sure would appreciate you coming on. Yeah, that's really I, I cool. I wanted to ask our other special guest today, Trask. How does he know how to use a microphone? You mean this isn't an ice cream cone? No, it's Trask. <laughs> <laughs> You eating it, Trask? Trask. I'm trying to, but it's a little tough. Okay. Oh, <laughs> oh dear God. <laughs> uh, so what do we have to say about this? Hmm. I think it's wonderful, DM James. Thanks for uh, letting us know that we keep you happy and uh, alive on your commutes to and from work. 45 plus minutes. That's that's a heck of a haul, buddy. <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking at uh, I'm looking at some of his stuff. He's got some, some like custom classes and stuff like that for Labyrinth Lord. I might check some of these out. Cool, hmm. cool. Right. Let us know what you find out. Yeah, you can right, be we a got our, our next one here. It's from DM Dave, and he poses poses a question to everybody. 
I'm looking to try out online tabletop gaming to revive my old AD&D campaign. Which of the available options have you guys tried, and which ones do you recommend? So that's from DM Dave. I really don't have that much experience with this, so I'll leave it up to you guys to answer yeah. this one. Yeah, I've never played in an online game, so... I think and, this is the Vincent I question. Yeah. Hands down, and I'm sure Chris B will agree with you, Roll20 is probably the best thing going out. I heard that. I do like Roll20. I haven't really used it that much. Um, but I, I follow some people who do use Roll20 a lot, and I hear it's really, really good. We're using it for our uh, Men in Black game we're playing in, by the okay. way. So, yeah, I definitely highly suggest using that. Uh, go to Roll20.net, I think it is, or .com. Yeah, it's .net. Yeah, that's it's really nice about I've heard, too, from everybody. Roll20 is, like, the ideal one. Yeah, so, like, before we were playing over Skype using, like, either map tools or um, gamer table, or game table, whatever it's called. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that was – it was all right. It wasn't that great, but it was – it made do. Um, but the nice thing about Roll20 is that it's integrated with Google+. Plus. So yeah. you could do Google Plus Hangouts and see everyone's faces. And there's no software to download whatsoever. It's all web-based, so you don't have to download anything or wait for people to get the right edition of it. Or Oh, wow. Yeah, because with, like, map tools, you have to get the edition that the person who's hosting the game is using, and it's it's kind of a mess. And then you have to figure out how to use map tools and then figure out how to create things for map tools. And Roll20, all you do is drop and drag yeah. things onto the... Yeah, the... you can make backgrounds and you can fit grids to them and play music. Yep. Things like that. It's lots of fun. You should look into it. And I guess that's all the emails this week. Yes, it is. RFI staff at gmail.com, 570-865-4210, the hotline. Yep. Or you can go over to rfipodcast.com and you can look up our new little sections on there that I've put up with Todd Hughes. His articles are coming around again. I don't know if he has another one up. Recently, his plus two to save was up uh, last show, I believe. Yes, it was. And uh, he, he wrote me and said he was writing up another one, so I don't know if it went up just yet, so he might be still in the process of doing it. Yep. We do have... Our forums at osrgaming.org. Uh, there's also new to D&D area again as well. Uh, resources for buying, a primer to old school gaming, the volume one, issue one with me and just Jason talking, and volume one, issue two, just Jason and I is again talking about where to find books and resources for buying books updated for the new person. We also have a FAQ or a FAQ and has some questions on here, commonly asked questions about the show. And uh, you can go on there and check what happened. Like what people always ask, what happened to Jason? Can we get him back? And, you know, we, well, what happened to him? Questions about Will, what happened to him? What happened to the, the enhanced edition feed of the podcast, Matt? What are, uh, too much work. No one supports it. That's exactly right. Yes. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, no one. It was like you said, uh, Apple dropped the ball on it and they stopped supporting it themselves. Right. So what's the point of making a, an enhanced podcast if they're not going to support it? Right. It, it would be one of those things as people got their new iPhone devices, it'd be like, why isn't the enhance working? Because you bought a new device. Yeah. Much like if you're having problems with our iTunes feed right now, unsubscribe and resubscribe. We updated our feed location and apparently iTunes decided not to automatically uh, propagate that to your client. 
Instead, they're going by the old feed in, that they saved in cash. So you have to unsubscribe to uh, fix it. Curse you, Steve Jobs. Yep. Steve Jobs is no longer around. Steve Jobs is yeah, dead. Yeah, but here, you know, Nick. I'm sure he's got some evil avatar somewhere roaming around. Yeah, I know. Now, we also answer the infamous question what happened to Blackstone's vault? A simple one line answer Blackstone retired and became DM Nick on the show. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I have actually been thinking about, and it seems that there has been some people on the forums that would like to see those segments come back. I just got to figure out how I can schedule my time to do that, that again. So um, I did say that a couple of weeks ago, last I was on, that that might happen. I'm just thinking, you know, maybe if I could work it out, maybe do like go, you know, one or two a month. We can throw them in here and there. I, I'm, that's what I'm hoping to do. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm actually looking at um, doing some newer adventures, doing some reviews on those. Uh-huh. So I'm going to go through my repertoire of stuff that's newer. And uh, see what I could pick out there. Something that'll be really fun to do. So, and then there's the infamous question: What happened to the Thane Scrolls? Will we hear more? <laughs> we answered that one all the time, so we put that on the website. Thane is just a it was just a side production done by DM Jason, his friend Andrew. The scrolls had been dropped when Andrew did not have time to continue working on the product. There was a community attempt to bring back the scrolls at one point, but it fizzled out. Yeah, those are really fun too. Yeah, there was rumors of it being the Trask Scrolls or something like that. Uh, Trask, if you're still here. No, he he had to go back to his homeland of uh, Dwarf Town. (laughs) Dwarf Town. Wow, pulled that one right out of your keys. Yeah, Dwarf Town, Town. Minnesota. Dwarf Town, Minnesota. Dwarf Town Vikings. (laughs) Is that that anywhere near uh, uh, St. Paul or... Uh yeah, actually yeah. Okay. It's uh it's about forty five minutes south. Mm-hmm. It exists right. just just right. as much as Transylvania, Pennsylvania exists. Yes. You take you take highway number, <clears throat> and then you uh hang a left onto <clears throat> street, and then you're there. <laughs> you're there. Yeah. You see the sign. Right. Welcome, welcome to Dwarf Town, <laughs> Minnesota. Population <laughs> dwarfs. The sign is a picture of a big giant beard, right? <laughs> it is. Yeah, I thought so. Anyway, so that's Sage Advice. We'll head into our Table Manor segment next. Typical of all the evil creatures in the world. I like to find one with Table Manor. What are you kidding me? I spent years cultivating the worst Table Manors on the planet. Table Manors. So the Table Manors this week, we're going to take a look at uh, a bunch of adventures again. But this time we're going to take a look at Dungeon Magazine. Yeah. In fact, we're going to start with Dungeon Magazine number five. So uh, Nick and I looked at the first couple of adventures. Nick, you want to jump off here? And, uh, yeah, and before I I, uh, I start into it, I was talking with, when we were talking all together before we started recording, I think this is <laughs> interesting. Is I remember when like Dungeon Magazine started, I remember thinking to myself, what, there's no, no more Dragon Magazine adventures? And I think I felt a bit you know slighted by that. So it kind of like at the time, I think I just let it go. I just didn't feel like it was another. I thought, oh man, another publication I got to spend money on. So I didn't bother. Now, looking back at all, uh, even this this one issue that we're covering, there's yep. some really good stuff in there. Yeah. Now I'm kicking myself in the butt for not picking them up back in the day. 
Yeah, told you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> Cha. So if you are, are unfamiliar with Dungeon Magazine and you're like, what the heck is Dungeon Magazine? Which probably none of... No, I don't think anyone will actually ask that. But just in case, Dungeon Magazine was made by TSR to put... It was for the Dungeon Master himself, adventures to be put in there by various Dungeon Masters to give players... Uh, sorry, players. DMs a... Uh, Pretty much a one source place to go if they needed an adventure for the night or an encounter for the night because mm-hmm. they can make up their own stuff. So this is what this magazine was put together for. And, so first, and I think they covered not just AD&D, but basic and expert. Uh, yeah, this has uh, one Dungeons and Dragons adventure out of the, what, one, two, three, four. But it was uh, mostly AD&D seven. stuff, I yeah. think. Yeah, they started in about 86, and they did a lot of first edition. Uh, but it was kind of confusing in the beginning because it was during the transition period between first and second. Right. So a lot of people thought most of the adventures were second edition, and then they started marking them 2E, so you knew. Right. So we basically just assumed that they were first edition adventures. So. Yeah. And, and Dungeon had a pretty long run as far as a publication, didn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it lasted up until uh, Wa- uh, Watsi took away the uh, rights to Paizo to publish them. So mm-hmm. it went out the same time uh, Dragon did. So back in, what was that, 2000... 2008-ish? 2008, 2009? Yeah. Wow. Do you guys know the uh, the fun fact about the two D&D magazines? If you ever are reading through one of them... And they list both magazines. They always list them as Dragon first and then Dungeon. So it'll be drag. It'll be Dragon and Dungeon instead of Dungeon and Dragon. Huh. Ah. Yeah. It's if you read, I think almost any issue of of either one where it lists both, it'll always be listed in that order. Huh. Interesting. That's one to grow on. You play that music in the background with a little star. Ding. <laughs> Sorry. Thanks, Christy. Hi. You're welcome. It's a doo 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 ding. That's the <laughs> the more you know, the more you know. That's right. So, what's this first adventure about? The Rotting Willow. Yeah, the Rotting Willow. This was written by a fellow by the name of Ed Bromley, and uh, at the time, I guess he just got uh, his BA from Economics, 1985. Uh, he's had his own campaign world. And it's an adventure for four to six player characters, seventh to ninth level. So, you know, getting up near the high level adventure area. So, what this one is about, it's um, it's more of a, it's not really an, it's kind of like a side adventure for you. You know, yeah, it's kind of a sidetrack. It's kind yeah. of like one of those like if you if you're running a uh, this is really great for like if you're running a sandbox campaign. Like uh, quite a few folks out there enjoy doing, this is a good one to plop in an area where there's going to be uh, a, a swamp environment nearby in your sandbox environment that you made for your game world. And basically, what it comes down to is the adventuring party comes into this town where they have, well, they have a the village of Rotting Willow. And they have this interesting problem that they don't like to talk about. They are very elusive about this, this, this strange problem. They don't like, they don't like it. Basically, they don't like anybody who's like a dwarf, gnome, 
halfling or even I, I guess you could say um strange children that are not a part of their community would that be fair to say i think it's more of a it's just short people i think it is <laughs> yeah they have a, a thing against short people and i guess to a lesser extent small children so go into this town and you're trying to talk to various people within in this village about what's been going on you know because there's there's been there's been lots and lots of thefts and and uh, you know few people disappearing here and there eventually the party finds hopefully will find out but not too soon that um it is a trio of bogarts that is kind of disrupting things in this town, but they don't want to. Dis- they don't want to destroy the town. The bo- the Bogarts, they want to use this town as basically a-, a lure for other people, so they can, you know, feed upon their energies when they um, lure them into the swamp. Bogarts is such a bad name for the monster, too. Yeah, I want always want. I want to name one Humphrey Humphrey Bogart. Yeah. <laughs> I love that, and they have a, a simple uh, map of the village, which is pretty cool. So you could steal for any game. Yeah, and absolutely. That's just nice, small. But I like the fact that the houses are fifteen to twenty houses. You know, depending on if they blow down or not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and the population the, increases and decreases based on the season, pretty much. I like the description of the 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 town, the the inn, and the village, the rotting willow, the, mm-hmm. which was um, by. <laughs> The uh, the the proprietor of the Rotting Willow. He, I'm trying to find his name here again. Gerald. No, wait, yes. No, that's the store guy. Um, I don't know. It's on here somewhere. Jebia? Or Jebia? Oh yeah, there it is. Yeah. But the the Rotting Willow Inn is really interesting because it's all set up to where it's like an it's like an open air inn that there the windows. Are there's like there's just open holes in the in the in the walls, and I guess is if I remember correctly, didn't the proprietor say that he doesn't care if like people fight in the tap room? <laughs> yeah, but he just said don't break anything. You break it, you buy it. Yeah, yeah if you're gonna okay. fight, fight in the tap room, but just don't break anything. But um, eventually, the player characters will find out that one way or another. If if they're careful about how they phrase things, that there is a uh, there's some strange dealings going on. With maybe some you know things uh, you know uh, price possessions disappearing and sometimes people disappearing. What the player characters do not know is that they are being tailed by these bogarts. That uh, once they come in the town, there's various opportunities the bogarts are going to take. You know, because of their special invisibility ability. It's like the Bogarts want to get caught. So I could just picture them going, oh, I'm stealing this guy's sword. Yeah, pretty <laughs> much. They, the, and that's how it's outlined. They, they want to get seen because they want to lure the player characters into the swamp so they could get trapped. And then the Bogarts can feed upon their energies. And then they can eventually grow into full-blown will-o'-wisps. That's the whole idea behind it. So I thought this was, this is a pretty, um, if looking at it, it has a kind of a 
Lovecraftian tone to this, yeah. to this, uh, to this adventure. If you like that sort of thing, which I do, like this is a really cool, creepy adventure. You, can, you could, if you could play it up to your to the party, you know how you do the player characters. Very, uh, your NPCs is very elusive. There's like, oh, we don't want to talk about it. Oh wait, and there's one of the, uh, in fact, one of the NPCs in here when he is. If he is talked to directly by anybody in the party who's a halfling dwarf or gnome, he'll ignore them. Yeah, and he'll he'll say anybody who's like either like human or elf or something like, "Don't I know you? Don't I know you from somewhere?" And completely ignore anybody who's who's basically a stunty, as I like to call them, because they're small. Stunty, stunties. <laughs> so that's pretty much the basic gist of that adventure entirely. Yeah, and you know, getting lured into the swamp, you got to worry about uh, you know quicksand, and then they have their treehouse of doom, basically. <laughs> but it's a really cool side trek adventure. Yep, and they, there's a treasure in there that's up to the DM, depending on the base needs of the campaign, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, I did like the detail in the town, though. Uh, yeah, the gentleman who wrote this did really good NPC detail, and. As far as the surroundings, like Vince said, um, it's really up to you where you can you can plop it into an existing game world. You can just change some names here and there as far as, like, geographic locations to make it fit your own campaign world if you want. And he, they provided a nice uh, map of the inn, first and second floor. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'd like – and I always thought – uh, and looking through all these, there's like good. If you don't want to use a whole adventure, heck, some of these maps are great just for using for just the, if you need a map for a tavern or an inn. Boom, there you go. You got one right there. Yep, and one for the swamp as well. Mm-hmm. So that's the uh, the rotting willow. That's the first one. I, I think it's a really cool adventure, especially you know for something for those level of player uh, player characters at level seven seven and nine. And I had to read through the Monster Manual 2 description of the bog arts. Man, I forgot how nasty those guys are. Oh, yeah, definitely. They're not something They're... to be taken lightly, especially. No, not at all. <laughs> so that brings us to our next adventure, and this is called Lady of the Lake. And you can start this one off. Sure. Okay. This one is written by Laura Ferguson, and this was meant for 48 characters, first level. It's very, it's a very novice type game, so it's for pretty much new DMs and new players, or it could be either just new players. She does suggest that there should be at least a cleric, a magic user, and a ranger in the party. Mm-hmm. Uh, first thoughts about this: some great maps on here as usual. Yep. Uh, there was a couple questions in here that answered some things from a previous podcast that Nick and I were talking about. We'll get to that in a second. Yeah. Uh, the adventure background starts basically pretty much. I like how they just throw the PCs right into it. Yeah, you're walking along the path. You pretty much know each other. You're you know, you're walking along. All of a sudden, you see on the side this pretty much figure of a woman laying in the grass. Looks like she's beaten up and bruised, and she pretty much is barely alive. So, unless you have some magical means, uh, she's pretty much going to pass out. You can heal her. And she'll be awake enough to basically move very slowly. She'll be really groggy and stuff. Yeah, but she does tell you she needs you to take her to Orb Lake. Uh, you guys are like, huh? But that's all she really tells you. She doesn't tell you anything more, I guess, apparently. Yeah, she's yeah. just incoherent the rest of the time. Yeah. 
And you guys have the party has no idea where the orb lake is. So the only thing they know is there's a town that is relatively near named uh what the heck was the name of the town? Gindia? Yeah, Gindia. Gindia. Yes. So the players take well, the characters take her up the road and then they find this mysterious necklace on the ground in the middle of the road. Mm, oh yeah. Which happens to look like it could be possibly her necklace because if the PCs examine the body of the woman on the side of the road, they notice that she has some marks on her neck and the notes for the DM clearly state that it looks like that the marks on her neck was a necklace that was ripped off of her in a very brutal fashion. So it kind of looks like whoever had the necklace might have dropped it when they were running away. So it's up to the PCs to pick up the necklace and if the girl is coherent at this point or not, give it to her or keep it, depending on what they think. <laughs> well, <laughs> and if they put it on her, well, that probably much, pretty much ends the adventure because... <laughs> yeah, uh, the necklace is cursed. It's a necklace of strangulation. So yeah. they say pretty much in here, it'll strangle and kill her within the round. Yeah, because, because what happened... Yeah, because what happened is uh, the background was that she was accosted by a bunch of brigands, mm-hmm. and she was taken by brigands. And one, amongst the brigands was this magic user uh, of, you know, evil, disreputable reputation. And they, she somehow got away, and uh, mm-hmm. he thought would be a nice, cruel trick would to be throw the necklace of strangulation for anybody who found her. You know, it would strangle her. So the that's little twist to this is she's not really even a girl. She's actually no. a phantasm. Yeah, a new monster. Yeah, a phantasm, and she is uh, be she was cursed. Well, not cursed. I think the magic user casted a spell on her to give her a form of a human girl. It looks like yeah, her down, and her magical powers don't work as a phantasm as well. Apparently, in that form. Yeah. So the whole point of this adventure to get her to Orb Lake is to, because the lake apparently is a magical lake that heals and cures for long enough that you're in the lake. Right. That the curse will be broken for her to go become her little phantasmal form, apparently, which is a deer <laughs> with wings. Yeah. Yeah. Basically what will happen is if, you know, you f- eventually find this lake, um, anybody who has been polymorphed or I think it also cures lycanthropy. Only while they're in the water. Only while they're in the water. Yeah, if you read the notes, it says it cures it while they're in the water. As far as getting out of the water, it does not. I guess it doesn't, so. <laughs> Which is kind of weird. But. It is kind of weird. Anyway, and you do get to, it only affects you once in your lifetime. So if you want to be healed and you drink the water, that's, you know, that's it. Too bad. Next time you come back, it's just water. Yep. Uh, anyway, she does have uh, the ability to have magic resistance, mm-hmm. 75% chance, which does not work while she is passed out. So that was kind of a thing that Nick and I were debating a couple shows ago about magic resistance and uh, if it works. Can you turn it, it on and off and such? It's, yeah, if you turn it on and off or it's just an automatic thing that's always on. So this person, Laura, in this module has decided that it has to be turned on and off, and while you're out, it's off. So it's not really a, a solid answer, but it gives you an idea of how another DM has used the the uh, magic resistance. 
So that's a really good question. And now I'm starting to think about it and how it works in like later editions. Because I know there is a rule about that, but I can't remember which way it goes. As far as if it's on or off all the time? Yeah. Ah, oh, man. I should look that up. And then, oh. and also, you got through the adventure, you got to get to this town. They lead you to a fiasco around the town. There is a an old druid that might know where this orb lake is. Yes. Um, so uh, his name, uh, the druid Fraga. He's late 40s, but is prematurely white, has premature white hair. Um, he tends to be, sounds like a kind of a grow. He's a gruff, no-nonsense exterior, often intimidates visitors. But he's very helpful to the community. So you can kind of play him off as that. Um, maybe I, it's the, uh, the creepy druid from the uh, the Hobbit movie. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> you could play it up like that. Why not? Why not? And there's some other little encounters along the way, some animal encounters, uh, some hobgoblins you might run into. The encounter of the hapless hunter. I thought that was interesting. That he had an arrow plus one sticking out of his chest, and it's still magical. I thought yeah. once you got hit by a magic arrow, it's gone. <laughs> See, I think that's more of a DM fiat type thing. Yeah. I think I once would... you shot the arrow, I always thought once it hits, it loses its magic magical uh, ability. So I've always stood as long as you can recover it, it should be fine. If it breaks, then... Yeah. Right. yeah, I was always of the, if you can recover it, it's still magical. It's not like it, once it hits someone, it disperses all of its magic in them. So, I also like how uh, she incorporated the kind of like the white stag legend in this. Because mm-hmm. you, know, you come across a white stag and it's very elusive, you can't get to it. But it leads you to the uh, orb lake. I thought that was kind of cool. Yep. And then after you visit the druid, uh, by the way, the village is well detailed as well. And this is oh, well. yeah. a nice little map as well. So you can pull that into your campaign. There is a map of the wilderness where basically you just got to go wandering around trying to figure out uh, where that orb lake is. Mm-hmm. And there's various random encounters in there, like the Madman's Revenge. But you also have like that Dryad gro- Grove. In, there's a Dryad Grove in here. Uh, there's a Goblin <laughs> Patrol that you might run into. And then the Evil Caravan. <laughs> the Evil Caravan, yes. This yep. is the Caravan of Brigands that that hurt this poor little girl. You so. know what I was thinking about with this encounter, playing it up a little bit different and just the way that I work, but... Uh, instead of when, because it says the evil magic user is out at the time, mm-hmm. I would kind of play it off that the evil magic is if the party's already defeated, say the the roaming brigands that he finds. Mm-hmm. I would play it up. This old guy comes back and he was maybe forced by them to kind of he was enslaved by them and he was just doing his duties or something just to see if he can you know test out the party, see what's going on, and then sure. kind of you know jump at them and attack. But he's really powerful, though. He is. Isn't he like an 8th level magic yeah. user or something like that? Yeah. Also, of... you got uh, you might come across a tomb with a wraith in it. Yeah, I thought that was a little bit much, too. But I guess Yeah, but it does say that, you know, that though deadly, these monsters may be fought with a, by a coordinated and strong group of low-level adventurers. Not first level. 
Yeah, I don't know. It depends. I mean, if they come across it the right way, if they are actually to pick up some magic items along the way, they might be able to defeat it. I don't know. But that'd be a real, <laughs> that'd be a real tough fight, because you're talking energy drain. If you're first level and you're energy drained, you're dead. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. And then you're a white. Yes. Pretty much. We have a couple more encounters, and then we have the weasels in the cave. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you find that, then you finally will find the orb lake, where you pretty much will bring the little girl. And place her in the lake as she apparently she suddenly wakes up, and uh, she's like, "Oh, put me in the lake!" And you put her in the lake, and she turns, she like fades away and turns into this white mythical creature that jumps out of a deer with wings. With, with rainbow hued wings. Yeah, the phantasm, and it kind of just like goes, "Yo," and gives you one of those you know chin up nods, and then it goes, like, "Hey, what's up? Thanks." So I guess but like, um, after, I guess after within two weeks. Another winged white deer will appear to the PCs and will reward them with a minor magical item of the DM's choosing. So that's pretty cool. You know, mm. and then there's a, and, and at the end, I'm sorry, there, at, there's a thing about the phantasm and yeah. what this type of creature it is. What did you think of this one? I, I like the phantasm. I, I want us to see more of it, but the way it's written, you'll never really use this in your campaign unless you want to say that your campaign your campaign works for every 111 years and uh, is that your, the, the phantasm shifts into your campaign. Because so. apparently they can only once per day each cast haste on it. And once every 111 years... It may plane shift itself from the ethereal plane to the prime material plane, but it has to shift back within one year or so. Yeah. I thought overall with this adventure, um, I was reading through it, I'm like, this is like a smaller version of Forced Oracle, but better. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. what I thought. I'm like, it has a lot of the same kind of tropes that were in Forced Oracle. You got a druid, there's some goblins. Um,. There's some dryads. Skunks and weasels. Yeah, there's like, you know, this is like Forest Oracle. But you know what? The background is a hell of a lot better. (laughs) And this is only a few pages out of Dungeon Magazine. So what does that tell you about Forest Oracle? (laughs) And I have to say the girl who wrote this, Laura Ferguson, at the time, apparently she was in high school still. Yeah. So. 4-H club she was part of. Yeah, that's how she learned how to play AD&D. And, um, you know, goes on saying now she's editor of the high school yearbook, plays volleyball, and still plays AD&D. I, I'm just, just for that, you know, for for what this has been, how you know, the age written, you know, she did a really good job. Yeah, and she's a girl. I know, girls in gaming? Ew. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right, so our next adventure is the Stolen Pal. Yeah, this one's uh, <laughs> by Robert Kellick. Yeah, Robert Kelk. Kelk, an okay. evil cult with a trick up its sleeve. And <laughs> Robert was from Ottawa, Canada, and he had he learned how to play 
D and D from uh, what was known as the Hobby Center Gaming Club there, mm-hmm. and he made up a his adventure because he was once told that men wouldn't play female PCs because quote they keep getting sacrificed unquote. No, that's not why. Because it's creepy. That's why. <laughs> well, that too. In the interest of equal time, he has created Shami Amore. And you'll find out who Shami Amore is in this uh, this adventure. I guess the Stolen Power, it's a, a module, an adventure for 46 player characters of first to third level. And it really is heavily on the lawful, particularly lawful good. Lawful good characters like paladins are recommended for this adventure. If you have clerics at Aphrodite, Hera, Ishtar have a special interest in the spoiling the cult of Shame or Shami Amore. So, one thing the only complaint I have was the adventure background first box. All that, yeah, seems like you're giving the players everything in that when they should be working for that information. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. little detective skill work or something. Yeah, I guess you could kind of do a prequel thing to this before you can just give them all this information. What, what it? They go to this town, a small city actually called Highland, and the clerics in Highland there they had something stolen from them recently, a book of infinite spells. So they're afraid that their enemies took it and they want it back. The Ooh. only clue is, yeah, a piece a. Uh, a piece of paper dropped by one of the robbers, the name Hadonis is and part of a floor plan are scrawled on the paper. So my one question about the book of infinite spells, if it's infinite spells, why does it only have 12 pages left? Uh, there are infinite lines on the, (laughs) (laughs) I was wondering about that. If it's infinite spell, infinite spells, why is it only 12 pages left? Probably because they use some of them. (laughs) <laughs> and it's, it's it's a book of finite spells then. Yeah, that, that should be. Yeah, no, it should have a book of limited spells maybe then. Book of finite spells. There. It also leads me to believe that if there's the twelve last pages are turned, that the book just disappears or blows up or something. <laughs> I don't know. Like I kept reading that, going, it's gonna blow up. Yeah, it's it's like one of the messages from Get Smart. After you listen to it all, it blows up. <laughs> Oh, it just turns to dust. I, I don't know. I just was curious. If we, uh, why don't you just let them turn the pages and just that's the end of the adventure? No. no. Okay. So anyway. then, so Moodwin does the druid. Was the druid? Yeah. No, the magic user. Right? No, cleric. Cleric. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you'll, you'll pick the right character class eventually. Yeah. Moonwind, who's the eighth level human cleric who's in charge of everything, is going to set you on your quest. And give you bear paw and deer hunter. Yes, apparently in this adventure. Yes, bear paw, fourth level human cleric, and deer hunter, a half elf cleric ranger. They go along with you to try to find this book of infinite spells. So, and there's a a fairly decent uh, map of the city of Highland and the vicinity around it. Um, I do like that um, as far as the random encounters, it's it's pretty nicely uh, – I thought the random encounters pretty nicely done. 
Uh, and actually, it's not just um, most of the encounters are not just like a, a stat block. There's some background to it, just a little bit, like uh, like the one. There's a, a unicorn. There's but one unicorn in the forest, and he will be encountered only once. The unicorn can speak the common tongue and tells the PCs there are no concentrations of evil in the forest. So there's a little blurb of information at least you can use. Uh, there's a, there. What's that? It's a D12 for the encounters you use. Yeah, D12. You got a fairy dragon, uh, goblins, a a bark burr, uh, a a shidu as well. And shidu's just passing through. (laughs) I love that. I'm just passing by. (laughs) What do you know about this place? I don't know. I'm just going through here. Leave me alone. (laughs) The five druidesses. Yeah. Yes. I've never seen this druidesses like that before, but anyway. Whatever. That's, and that's cool. So you have to get to this, uh, I guess a, it's a manor house that was uh, supposedly owned by this guy uh, by the name of Hadanis. So you're trying to find this, this, uh, this manor house. And uh, some other encounters along the way. You got Wemix, an Oliphant, Centaurs. I like this. This is the first adventure I've ever seen where minimals have been used. You actually have a chance of running into 10 horse minimals. <laughs> so <laughs> I thought that was kind of interesting. Like one of the most useless monsters ever created, the minimals. I've never even heard of that monster. Yeah, on a Monster Manual 2, they're miniature versions of animals. Yeah. They're about as useful as Modrons. So, sorry, like, I just don't think Modrons are very useful. <laughs> yes, they're like mini-cons for Transformers. Yes. Mm, okay. They're utterly stupid and useless. No, I'm sorry, did I say that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's okay. So you get the Hadonis' retreat, his, his manor house. Uh, there's a few guard dogs in there. Um, library. Where you find some cool books. If you, you find some pretty cool books, you find a few spell books. Yep, you do, but you don't find the book of infinite spells. There's a few traps in there. Um, you find there's the cool gold along the way. Yeah, find some gold along the way. Uh, basically, and once you get through the house, eventually you're going to find the secret door to the underground caverns where this, I guess you would say, a cult conducts their nefarious uh, and evil uh, 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 ceremonies. And the interesting thing about it is once you get through here you find some of these yeah, cultists that they worship this this goddess who uh, is a succubus. She doesn't appear in the adventure. No, but her name is Shamaya More, and she's like the demigoddess of all succubi. I would have thought the demon, the way he was describing it in the beginning. That's what I thought too, because when you read the description of Shamaya More, she was like one of the first intelligent beings on the prime material plane, and Demogorgon, I guess, gave her. Elevated her to the power of a demigod. Hmm. 
So um, she's like the the queen of all succubi, and what they do, the kind of a twist on everything, they sacrifice males instead of females. Yeah, henceforth what the quote in the beginning of the adventure was about. The, right, the quote at the beginning of the adventure where he says, well, it's always about, like, you know, you know, women getting sacrificed. Not this time. <laughs> I do like when you finally get down there and you finally figure out that there's an evil cult down there, the description in the room. Oh, it's, yeah, I know, with all the, the pictures on the walls. The chapel walls are de- are decorated with a, ba- a bas relief of scenes that would make a professional streetwalker blush. blush. Yes. Wow. <laughs> In fact, it doesn't say the uh, um, any worshiper of Aphrodite, Hanali Selenil, which is uh, the was it the Elvish goddess of love. I believe Hera, so. Hera or Ishtar should definitely want to despoil the altar. Yeah, and and if they don't, they get minus experience points. Yeah, they actually lose experience points for not doing it. And even lawful or good pieces that don't help also get minus experience points for it. Yeah. They'll get deducted. Yeah. So kind of a, a, a twist on things where not only do are you, I would say lawful good clerics, definitely a paladin, are compelled to, you know, cleanse this place of the evil that is in there. And coupled with that, it is male human sacrifices, sacrifices of men that are given to this a succubus goddess. Well, as they should be. I mean, if you remember, Crispy, the Book of Sorrows, what Trask was doing to the Asmodeus statue. Uh, do I really want to know? I, I broke the Asmodeus statue. He was on it, breaking the arm off of it, dancing on it, and trying to tip it over. Oh, okay. <laughs> and you were lawful good at that point, weren't you? Yeah. Yeah, so it, it fit. And then we uh, come hard after you go out of that, that whole room, desecrate the... Uh, the altar purposely, uh, you find a little guard room with a little baby white dragon in it. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. I was like, oh, white dragon, what? <laughs> it's like all of a, yeah. yeah. It's all of a sudden white dragon. It's not a big one. <laughs> it's a little one, but he breathes his three times and then he, and then he attacks. Yep. Actually, I only think he gets one. Um, let's say I think he gets his one a day. Once today to lower the room's temperature. Okay. So he's got two more. Yeah, and immediately attacks with his breath weapon using both remaining attacks before joining. Okay. The, yeah. So he pretty much breathes on you twice, and then he attacks you. So he's just a little one. Yeah, there's no <laughs> there. He's just a little guard. He's just sitting there waiting for you, a little tidbit. Mm-hmm. No treasure. And then you will get to the reception room where two of Hadonis's, I guess, lieutenants are at. You have a fellow named Kine, and then there's Harmon, who's a magic user. And I, and you actually have an opportunity. You could bribe these guys, and they'll just take off. So <laughs> if you play it right, you don't even have to fight these fellows. There's also one thing to point on here. <laughs> the corridor with a guy with that weird name. I don't know where they got the name Sextus from. Mm-hmm. Why would they choose a name like that for this? Because it fits with the theme of the room? I guess. Anyway, apparently I... he was a person that was brainwashed by the cult, and that's why he's in there. Mm-hmm. And you find out more about that later on when you go down and find 
the prisoners inside the uh, where is that towards the end oh right I forgot to mention that uh, with Sextus he has now remember this is levels first first to third or it's relatively low level yeah this guy has an intelligent sword <laughs> yeah that was kind of intelligent cool. longsword plus one it's named Pathfinder 12 intelligence ego of two chaotic neutral and detect secret doors with doors. a half yeah. inch radius. Yeah. So five feet. Yeah. So basically, you. It's kind of interesting how they do this. So they, instead of having just someone him, him randomly standing there in the room, they decided that hey, he may be looking a different way. Which is wow, that's amazing that someone thought of that for once. Yes. <laughs> and they have you roll D10 to find out which way he's facing. He could be facing towards this room or that room, or maybe facing toward the PCs. Mm-hmm. Interesting. If he's, if his back is to you, you automatically get the surprise on him. Apparently, so. Yeah. And then you get to that reception room with, with Kine and Harmon, where you might be able to bribe them. You have to bribe them at least a thousand gold, or something yeah, equivalent to it. He kind of suggested. It's like you know, you could just bribe us. Yes. You know, <laughs> we could. You know, if you just put a few, you know, hundred gold in our hands here, we could just forget about the whole thing. Apparently, this cult isn't really that you know strong in its members. <laughs> we could just bribe them <laughs> they'll just take off <laughs> chaotic evil i mean what do you expect yeah they're chaotic greedy yeah so then you get to hadonis's room finally finally um i'm not sure what to say about hadonis himself he's not as powerful and amazing as i thought he would be no he isn't um he's just pretty much some He's a seventh level cleric, but he doesn't. His AC is ten, and it's just meh. Yeah, I would kind of if it was me, I'd kind of beef up his uh, armor class a little, you know. Yeah. <laughs> maybe give him like you know, just some like some chain mail, <laughs> something. And plus, you have a twenty five percent chance of walking in on him sleeping for two segments. Yeah. yeah. So at that point, um, a party should be able to effectively neutralize him. Before yeah, he you got a one in four chance, basically, to walk on his sleep, and he just slit his throat, done. Right. Kind of uh, anticlimactic. Yeah, <laughs> extremely. I would yeah. have a few more minions and stuff around myself. I don't know. He just, His spells consist of, because I remember uh, DM Kojo asked about plotting spells out for NPCs. Uh, his current selection of spells are Cause Light Wounds, three of them, Sanctuary, Okay. Whole person times three, so he has three of those. Cause disease, cause paralyzation, and cause serious wounds. Okay. Cool, 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 but they'll get interrupted every time with all that many PCs around. Right. Him. You know, him and, uh, you know, six adventures maybe around him. Yeah, he's going to get clobbered. Yeah. So once you dispatch of him pretty easily, apparently. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you find the you can search around the room and you'll find another you'll you'll see another door but it's locked. Yes. But you find a key for it. Where yes. the treasure room is, and you find a lot of gold and and two giant rats. Yeah, that are guarding it. Yes. <laughs> because they were instructed to kill anybody but him that come in that room. And this much. really gets me. This person apparently uses a type of coinage that. Is even worth less than copper pieces. I was just about to bring bronze that up. Bronze pieces. Yeah. Bronze pieces. There's fourteen thousand 
892 bronze pieces, folks. Enjoy your yeah. encumbrance. I, yeah. I was going to bring that up, and basically, I hate that. Yeah. Four bronze pieces equal one copper piece. Copper. There, there's your ratio. Yeah. It's not even like the metric yeah. 10 to 1. No. <laughs> this is why you would want to bring in a spell that I like from Hackmaster called Merge Coin Pile. <laughs> <laughs> Where it converts smaller values to larger ones. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, I'm like that's a good spell. <laughs> but why would he be hoarding bronze pieces? Because apparently, not only is this cult weak on members, it's cheap. <laughs> like, was that when he was first starting up? He was like, he only had two minions, and they could only find bronze pieces laying around. Or... Apparently, so. <laughs> and... But he has so much bronze. I know. It, yeah. Like, uh, it's just why I mean, really why? but like yeah. he also has copper pieces yeah so just I would, I would like to think the 11 platinum are buried under the 14,000 <laughs> bronze and you have to dig through all the bronze to find the stuff actually worth your time to pick up you probably work I probably worked that out it's like this what the party asks where are all these bronze pieces ah we'll just leave that yeah, and then you have that ring. That's the ring of clumsiness mixed with a ring of feather falling. falling. Yeah, that was kind of interesting. They did that. What's the purpose of the ring? But anyway, and basically, so you can slip and fall and just make a fool of yourself without actually hurting yourself. Yeah. yeah. There's some barracks in here that's guarded by a female skeleton that will attack only if you have your weapon out. I love that. Like, he makes the distinction that it's a female skeleton. Yes. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's got extra rib. It's got the extra <laughs> rib. The pelvis is of a slightly wider dimension. Yeah, it's that's stupid. <laughs> so how do you tell? It's a, yeah, the extra rib is there, and it has bumps on it. Here, let me take the time while it's swinging a sword at me to count how many ribs it has. Yes. Yeah. Uh, maybe because it's dressed in women's clothing that's rotting away. I have no idea. It's wearing a chainmail bikini. Maybe it's got long hair and a yeah. chain belt. You just bought that one, huh? Yes. Uh, and then they have that one room that hasn't been used in years, 25 years. The ante room? The ante room. Oh, the, yes. Uh, which is really pretty much a trap, it looks like. Yeah, there. it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a, tra- a pit trap. It's a pit it. trap. It's your standard pit trap. But you have a chance of jumping out of the way because it's slow acting because it hasn't been such used in such a long time. You have, basically, you got five seconds to react because you hear this grinding sound. It's like, okay, what do you do? Grinding sound. <laughs> what do you do? There. Uh, I love I, that oh, this guy took the time to write that you get a plus 2% modifier. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Uh, no, don't so know what I was going to do without that 2%. Could mean life or death, Crispy. Could mean life or death. Especially when you're in this temple of Shami Amore. But you get minus two taken away, too, don't forget. That takes five seconds to spring anyway. Well, the pit trap ain't so scary if you had that ring of clumsiness slash feather falling. So you'll actually slip into the trap, but you'll fall fine. Oh, so there is a tie-in with the adventure, very Gygaxian. Yes. Yeah. 
<laughs> and and then the party will have to figure out how to fish you out of the pit. Yes. Yep. Then we have the pool room with the magic water. Oh yeah, I love this room. This is like the best room to be in. If you got an empty potion bottle, this is where you want to fill up, folks. Because apparently this pool being enchanted, whatever empty uh potion bottle you may have, it'll fill it up with that potion again. Do they actually say anywhere how the characters can figure this out or there's they when they detect magic on it, it has parts of alteration, evocation, necromatic magic on the on the pool. So Just kind anybody of, who I'm might to, I'm trying to think of the average party. Are they actually going to cast detect magic on this? Um who knows? Or I think maybe, maybe if one of one of the players decided to take a swim. You could say they got some water in their mouth and they healed that one hit point if you, as if you drink straight from it. Um, yeah. Crispy, if I gave you that in my adventure, would you go in that pool of water? Um, in your adventure, no. I wouldn't <laughs> touch any water in your adventure. <laughs> I don't even bathe. <laughs> Crispy does not bathe in my campaigns. Actually, Tress did and he got in trouble, but, you know. <sighs> did he bathe once? Yeah, he did, and remember he got arrested later on that same day because of something he did? Well, not actually what How did. do you get uh, arrested bathing? Oh, never mind. Uh, <laughs> everybody, in, everybody in every town apparently hates Trask, so. Good job. <laughs> then we find the cell blocks that we were talking about that have yes. two prisoners, and it has the book on a pedestal. Oh, but wait a minute. Did you catch the thing about the one prisoner who's the second level paladin named Marvin? Yeah, Marvin. Marvin. He is highly you melancholy. Know about Sir Marvin from the Knights of the Oval Table? No, this is Marvin. He's been captured and he's become highly melancholy. So you can think of him like this. Oh no. Everything they is just so comes with an Yes, his name is Marvin. Remind you of any other Marvin you might have heard about? They must have took his towel. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Anybody get the reference out there, let us know next next show. <laughs> Twice a day, each time. RFI staff gmail dot com. Thank you, Crispy. Welcome. Appreciate that. Anyway, so twice a day, each time that he's fed, he's being told by the guards he's going to be sacrificed at midnight. So as a result, he's become really depressed. Yes. Oh, no. <sighs> They're going to kill me. I'm going to stick my head in this bucket of water. Why bother? Why bother? Life. Don't tell me about life. <laughs> University took the extra time to write down negative 10% for the modifier to pick the uh, locks crispy on the jail cells. Did you see that? Sorry, I'm trying to find this. Cell block number 21. Okay. They were enchanted by a 7th level magic user. The thieves receive a negative 10% modifier to their chance to pick the locks. Well, like, that's... See, like, 10% is pretty big percent. Like, that's... That's a, you know... Well, that's, a that's where you don't pick the lock and you just get the biggest guy in the party to kick the door down. Yeah. 
but like two percent. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Two percent. And then in cell block B, after finding Marvin, you uh, find Quintus, who is brother of Sextus. Quintus and Sextus. Who was pretty much got yeah. captured after he found his brother because he wanted to try to save him from being brainwashed and he got captured and thrown in jail. Yeah. Their other brother, Octus, <laughs> Zeptus. And uh, then you find the last. Mortis. Nexus. Nexus, yeah. And Marvin, who's soaking his head at us. Yes. Who Tritus. doesn't? Anywhere. I'm not going. <laughs> Finally, the pedestal with the book on it. It's an obvious trap. Any player knowing playing any game knows it's not going to be that easy just to take this book and run with it. Luckily, Quintus was paying attention the whole time while they were... Why did they do that? (laughs) Why did they set up a trap and have him watch it the whole time? Repeatedly. Quintus, now watch this. Yeah. (laughs) Come here. Check this out. This is so cool. (laughs) Apparently, he knows the trap inside and out now because they've they've placed it, set it, and sprung it so many times, it was like they put a show on for this guy. <laughs> what do they do? Just get bored and like, hey, let's trigger the trap. <laughs> I don't know. It was just like they, they were trying to figure out the dimensions of the trap, and it, it says that he watched the trap being set, tested, and reset so he knows what it can do. Well, maybe the 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 evil cleric of, of this cult was, you know, he was monologuing. And he was telling exactly how he was going to do things. So he was pulling a Dr. Evil? Yeah, he was pulling a Dr. Evil. He was monologuing. <laughs> but so if, if in case somehow Quintus doesn't speak up and one of the players keeps telling him to shut up or whatever. <laughs> who knows? You might have one of those PCs. Shut up, slave. But I know how. I know how this shut up. <laughs> Apparently there is a pressure plate. Kind of a la Indiana Jones and the uh, actually the Raiders of the Lost Ark, I should say, with the whole you know sim- the head statue and moving with uh, the sandbag. You got to figure out how to get this book off there, and if you don't, the sleeping gas pours out into the room when you trigger the trap and you pass out for two d six turns. <laughs> you do. This was a question asked on our Facebook about it, if the item or trap or whatever has a spell on it. You go via the spell or via what's listed. And I believe Nick and I both answered. If it's listed under the description of what the effects are, then you would make a save. Otherwise, you would go default to the spell. Mm-hmm. So anyway, they do, and they pass out. But then a couple rounds turns, I should say, later, the rest of the disciples show up and take away everything but the thieves' tools because... S- due to sloppy uh, oversight. <laughs> and they lock them in the jail cell and forget the thief but they were so careful to show that one guy how to set the trap yeah well so the end of that one (laughs) this one's but but what happens if they kill all the disciples before they get to the sleep trap then trigger it they wake up in two rounds like nothing happened pretty much yeah pretty much it's actually turns but yeah Maybe we say the uh, depressed Marvin guy gets up and steals everything. Uh, okay, so <laughs> I have a, a question. <laughs> because I'm not super duper familiar with AD&D 1E like you guys are. How long is a round? A round is one minute. A turn is ten minutes. Yeah. So a PC can avoid uh, breathing for two rounds. like If. That's, breathing. That doesn't sound 
I don't know, like I would say constitution checks, but whatever. Right. Yeah. I would do a con I've done constitution checks for holding your breath before. Yeah. So So have I. But for two minutes, can you hold your breath for two minutes, Chris? I can't, but that's because I'm a smoker. <laughs> and a joker. And a midnight, midnight toker. toker. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I guess if you're an adventurer, you're in shape, and you, you have a pretty good constitution, I would probably give them a chance. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, holding your breath for two minutes if you're in shape and is not a big deal. I've heard of people being able to hold their breath for four to five minutes. Before. Yeah, if you're a Navy SEAL, more like it. Right. So you'd have to figure... Well, like swimmers. Yeah. Hmm. Then you have a nice description of the uh, demigoddess. Yes. Shami Amore. Shami Amore. How nasty she is. But you're a big linguist person with names and everything. Are we actually saying that name right? Uh, I don't know what, like, this comes from, but I'm guessing Amore is probably, like, Amore. Amore is, like, Italian. Italian. Or or French, yeah. When a big pizza pie hits your eye, it's Amore. Um, I would have to know, like, what language that's coming from, but I'm guessing it's a romantic language because you have Sextus and Quintus. (laughs) Almost, Almost Latin. It's pig Latin. Yeah, well, like, I think Sextus is, like, that's actually a name. Mm-hmm. It is? I think it's, like, yeah. Um, Quintus is, too. Actually, I'm not going to look at him now, but I, I think it's, like, the sixth or something like that. Oh. Um, and Quintus would be, like, the fourth or, or fifth? Uh, fifth. And, like, yeah. it's his older brother. So then yeah. you would have, like, their their older brother would be, like, Fortis. Yeah. Even though that means luck, but whatever, like, the Latin for four is. Yeah, Quintus is uh, a Latin name. So, hmm. All right, so there you go. <sighs> what did you think of this one? I, I, I don't know. It was kind of cool in a way, but I don't know. It's a little weird. <laughs> yeah, it, it was, it was a little weird. Um, I don't know. It was okay. I, yeah, I, I, I don't. I didn't think it was good or bad either way. I thought it was just kind of, eh. I kind of like the new demigoddess. I think that's pretty cool. I think, I, I guess this way, how I look at it, I think having this demigoddess, since you're going to introduce this one, I think it would work better if the adventure was higher level and there was more evil, nasty stuff to deal with in an actual temple. I think as a low-level one, not so much. Hmm. But that's just me. All right. <laughs> so now we get a little flavor of the next adventure called the Kappa of Pachi Bridge, which is pretty much an Oriental adventure, AD&D first edition adventure. Yeah. It's kind of interesting because it goes on the legend of the Kappa, apparently, from the book and talks about the Japanese folklores. And personally, I really didn't like this adventure at all because it was weird and creepy as well. I could see it being a Lovecraftian thing, too, Nick, wouldn't you? <laughs> Yeah, you almost could. I mean, you have to, you you either love or you're going to hate this adventure. I think because it's it's an Oriental adventures uh, themed uh, adventure, obviously. So it's I wasn't really big in Oriental adventures at all. I remember buying the book and that was it. Probably because I was such a Gygax fanboy at the time. It was like anything with Gygax's name on it was like golden to me. But yeah, this was kind of a weird adventure. Again, you got this village. Um, 
by the name of Pachi. Yeah. And they're having problems in the village with a a kappa that lives under the bridge. And you get a weird thing about this kappa. It's you almost in hearing about it, it's almost like Smeagol in a way. Yeah. You know? Definitely. Um, it does some things that aren't necessarily detrimental to the village. No. But it it, it can be a uh, a nuisance, I guess, if you will. And, and, it's, and I guess it's gotten worse. Because actually, I guess there was one person, they actually got something from the Kappa. Oh, it, and written by Jay Batista. We'll give him his credit. We're credits too. Yes, I'm sorry. Yes, Jay Batista. He actually lives in Oxford, Ohio at the time. And I his... he was a former WWE. Oh, that was Dave Batista. Sorry. No. Right, Matt? Yes, that would be. Yes, not Dave Batista. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Definitely not Dave Batista. But uh, so, yeah, you go to this village. You find out there's a, a percentile roll table to find out some uh, rumors. Uh, a lot of paragraphs to read. A lot of paragraphs to read. Uh, I like some. Of, I like the very first rumor: take melons and cucumbers as gifts. <laughs> Apparently, that one is true, though. <laughs> the kappa likes melons and cucumbers. Um, but there is. I don't know. This one I really didn't care much for either. Um, I love Oriental Adventures, and I love Legend of the Five Rings, but. I wasn't really down with this adventure at all. I mean, Crispy, what do you think about this adventure? I haven't actually really read it, but there's a lot of box text, and that turns me off. Yeah, um, maybe you said that in the past. Yeah, I do like these. Uh, this rumor table, though, the rumor yeah. table is pretty good. Yeah. Um, I like that it's actually pretty relatively short. Yeah, this is just well. like a throw-in uh, sidetrack adventure and real short one. Yeah. Yeah, but I've never really played Oriental Adventures or, like, Legend of the Five Rings. Well, one thing that I was... Uh, when you go trying to find this Kappa, because you have to go find him, pretty much, and figure out what's going on with this Kappa and why these people need your help. Uh, did you see the spot with the giant frog? Yes, I actually kind of like that. That was the one section I thought was kind of interesting, because if you cast a Speak with Animals spell, you can talk to the frog. And the giant frog does not like the kappa. <laughs> no, and pretty much he tells you, oh, the kappa's mean, eats his kind, he doesn't like it, and he pretty much tells you where the kappa is. And the kappa is following you pretty much the whole time, apparently, according to this. And he yeah. says, and it says here, he will not willingly allow himself to be used as bait for the kappa. Yeah. I'm like, ooh, and their right mind would want to do that. Right? Wrong. I would. It's a giant frog, dude. <laughs> I would well then then I would cast charm animal on him. <laughs> so yeah. I don't care if you're willing or not, you're gonna do as I say. <laughs> I kinda like the the Kappa sunning spot. <laughs> I yeah. kinda it made me giggle a little bit. I'm like, well, they took the time to write down this guy's gonna just chill out on the this little stump and just, you know, get a tan. Well, this is why I was like, I'm thinking of this thing like lives under a bridge and likes to set himself. I'm like, this is like a weird troll adventures version of like Smeagol in a way. You know, he's like hiding under this bridge and he swims away and stuff. And you can lure him out with cucumbers. 
Yeah, cucumbers and melons. He has so. a pretty interesting little story to him, though. Yeah. Yeah, I'm reading about him now, actually. It's it's actually kind of interesting. He's a, he's, he looks like a small little boy, and he acts like a small little boy. He's childlike. He, ha, um, he is cursed, pretty much. Oh, just flip the page. Hold on a second. Uh, he has a turtle shell on his back, which apparently places some burden on him for something that was done 346 years ago. What do you think about that? So um, if you can trick him to get on his back, he won't be able to stand up? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I don't understand. Like he's careful to not to have his, his head bowl tip over because the weakness of the kappa is he has... According to folklore and in the game, that this they, their head is indented like a bowl and holds water, and it's like their, I guess, like vital essence. If you're able to tip that over, his strength will drop down to ten. But he knows not to bow to people. If you bow to him, he won't bow back. Because apparently, about a hundred some years ago, he he fell in that little trick. <laughs> so. Hmm. He has spent three the last three hundred and forty six years living here in Panchico a nowhere place with this with scrawny children. For thousands of years, Hoji, which is his name, carried the celestial empire's entourage on his back until the final trip when until the final trip when picking up the royal concubines from the baths. He greased his shell so that the girls slipped off into the mud, then jumped in with them. Yay! The Emperor might have been soft on him if he, the girls hadn't had so much fun. Hoji was sent was sent to the earthly plains for 360 years of punishment. He has 14 years to go and has slipped into his old habit of eating tasty, if nearly meatless, young humans. So that's his little background story. And creepy nonetheless. <laughs> but the thing is that when you're fighting him and you're thinking you have to kill him, you're not supposed to really kill him. No. You're not. You're kind of. I I guess you're trying to trick him, lure him away, and trying to make him mend his ways. It's kind of. I was really kind of confused. I'm like, are they supposed to kill this guy? Are they not? I mean, because if you kill him, you're going to get cursed by the celestial emperor. <laughs> yeah, and the most important uh, is his death curse. Pretty much, if you if you killed him, his spirit casts the curse upon. Those who fought him in battle last, up to four opponents may be cursed. Each person must save versus death magic exactly four rounds after he is slain. Failure indicates that the person has a permanent negative four penalty to all two hit and saving throws until such time as a removed curse from a Shugajin. No, Shugajin. I don't know how to pronounce it. Of 10th level or greater is cast upon the affected person. Hmm. Additionally, everyone within a 30-foot radius of the cursed person receives a negative two to hit rolls and saving throw rolls for as long as they remain within the radius. So, uh, yeah. So what are you supposed to do? Trick it away. I guess so. That's what I, yeah, try to have him mend his evil ways, I right. guess. Have a capture him and have a good, giving him a good talking to? Like negotiate, so. like body parts? Because <laughs> it says, for example, in exchange for his arm, the cap of May promise he will never eat human flesh, and he'll help the samurai in the future. It's, it's just like, what? So you're just supposed to talk to him. Right. It was just like, bad cop. 
Here, you're being bad. Let's talk. Yeah. Time out. <laughs> I kind of like his tactics. They brought out his tactics. He kind of dazzles you and then tricks you and then uh, fights you and then claws away. And I like the finger wrestling thing. He tries to do finger wrestling. It's an innocent child doing a finger wrestling. And you roll Ben Bars, Lift Gates versus each other. And uh, whoever wins pulls the other person forward. Or in his case, tries to pull the PC under the water. So mm-hmm. he can attack them. So I thought that was kind of cool to do that. Take the little wrestling thing for fun there for people. Sounds like tug of war. Kind of in a way. And then they have the pretty much the resolve of the adventure. What happens afterwards? You get points for honor points for basic things. Uh, finding this, finding that, returning this and that. So, and then there's a, the whoa. I guess can't you know? Can't whoa. <laughs> I know kung fu. That <laughs> <laughs> just every time I look at it, it's like whoa, whoa. Continue from page one. Anyway. So that's that adventure. If I die in the game, do I die in real life? Crispy. <laughs> Only if you're Tom Hanks, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see that commercial they were doing with GE that has Agent Smith in it? No. Oh, you have to see that commercial. Anyone out there who's a Matrix fan, they have GE, General Electric, has a commercial with Agent Smith running around showing how technology evolves. And in every like scene, he's in it as one of the people. He morphs into somebody. <laughs> and at the very end, he's looking at a little kid in the hospital. He's like, the red lollipop or the blue lollipop? Which one? <laughs> oh, dear Lord. So that's it, right? No. There's that. There's actually more because, you see, Dungeon was actually jam-packed with lots of these little mini-adventures. And There's so many adventures. Yes, I know. It's adventure-filled. It's it's a cornucopia yes. of adventures. Yes. Would you say there is a plethora, senor? There is plethoras. Oh. Well, that's it for, for us. Matt, we'll hand it over to you. Yeah. Yes, and the, the next adventure we'll be talking about was by uh, Andrew McCray. The Trouble with Mylan Wimbley. I read that as Melvin yeah. Wimbley. Yeah, actually, actually, yeah, you could go Melvin as well. It could be Milewin, though, depending on how you... Right. Yes, I think... Well, he just seems to be a very confused halfling anyway, so the fact that he probably doesn't actually know how his name is pronounced wouldn't <laughs> surprise me. <laughs> because this adventure starts off with the party just going through the woods doing what adventurers do, making a camp for the night. They got a guard. Everything's going fine then. Oh, no, what's this coming out of the shadows? Crap, he just stole the mage's spell book. And running off. And then at that point, the uh, party goes to chase said little halfling. And then there's this whole long and melancholy backstory of poor Melvin. Yeah. Oh, God, this backstory. The, the, <laughs> How he hasn't just killed himself, I don't know. <laughs> How bad it's, is it? It's pretty bad. He was basically just a little thief going about his way. Then he got hooked up with this magic user who... Uh, is chaotic. Yes, who's chaotic evil. and well, appar- Melvin's neutral, so he's like, whatevs, I ain't gonna front. Right, but we'll hang out. He's not that bad. Because Melvin, you see, is a poor judge of character. And then he discovered... The Lamzabar was torturing and killing halflings, and he just couldn't take it anymore. So he ran off. 
And at which point, that's why in he's trying to fight Lanzabar to do away with this evil, and he thinks by stealing the player's spellbook, it'll help him. Mind you, there are a bunch of first to third level players, so you have to wonder how much spells are actually even going to be in that book. Oh, and this is for basic <laughs> D&D, too. Yes, it is. Yeah, it is a basic D&D adventure. I think it's kind of lackluster, honestly. Yeah, it's pretty much once he starts, uh, he steals your book, you go chasing after him, and he's apparently placed a bunch of traps in the woods, and it's pretty much you wander through the woods, dodging, like, tripwire traps and a giant log that'll swing and bop you on the head. I will say, um, like, I'm kind of in the same camp as Vince where I don't really run published adventures, yeah. But I will steal stuff from them. And one thing that I think this adventure has going for it is that it has very good, realistic, um, non-magical traps. Yeah, I I did like the traps. And I the one with the giant log swinging across, I've actually used before in one of my campaigns. So, but yeah, it's they're all... You could actually see this little halfling just setting these traps, trying to defend himself because... Lamzabar and his forces happen to also be looking for this halfling as well. So if the players wander into the right area, all of a sudden, oh no, there's the evil magic user and his forces. And if they capture our little halfling, though, then at that point, that's when he starts telling them his sob story and <laughs> hopes the uh, players will go along with him to vanquish this evil. <laughs> yes. I mean, just going over some of the traps, there's the mound of dirt trap. It's a giant mound of dirt. It's like uh, soil and clay, about 20 feet long, 20 wide, 6 feet tall. If you run over the mound, if you try to run over the mound, you lose your footing and slip down the mound. (laughs) That's the trap? That's the trap. But when you're trying to chase it. That is a crappy trap. (laughs) Yeah. Heck. There's also the branch trap, which is, he has a bunch of uh, a trip wire on the ground tied between two trees. You hit the trip wire, at which point a large branch swings down forcefully in hitting the first player to pass or PC. Oh, so that's what that picture is. Oh, my. Yeah. Yeah. You guys know what this adventure is, right? <laughs> it's Home Alone. <laughs> yeah, oh, actually, God, right. It is. It's Home Alone. Wow. Before Home Alone came out. So that might mean that the writers of Home Alone got the ideas from this adventure? I would hope not. <laughs> it is. Oh. Andrew McRae is John Hughes' pseudonym. <laughs> oh, no. And I lost all respect now for John Melvin McCully? Oh. Yep. It, this is... The player characters are the Wet Water Bandits. Yes. <laughs> or is it the Sticky Bandits, actually, at this point? No, the Wet Water Bandits. Oh. The Wet Bandits, yes. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, you, they go through that, and eventually... They'll... Is there a bungee stick trap? No bungee stick. Let's see, we've got a net trap. Yeah, I was, I'm reading that now. I'm, I'm just like, where did he get a 50 by 50 foot net? <laughs> right. And how would a 50 by 50 foot net fit in a forest? How did he set that up by himself? He's talented. He's a thief. I guess you're pretty talented, Mr. Wimbley. 
the it's like that like that movie. Uh, you're a sly one mr wembley as <laughs> i'm channeling burl ives at this point yeah uh, the snare trap which is so overall, it's, it's a pretty meh adventure. Yeah, because yeah, it's, it's pretty much just you're chasing most of the adventures. You're running through the forest, chasing after a halfling, dodging Home Alone traps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you run into some drunk orc guards. Yeah, you have some drunk orc guards with uh, two half full bottles of wine because they're kind of bored looking for the halfling. Ah. <laughs> yeah, and then when they show up. You roll 2d6 for the reaction. If you roll 7 or above, they burst into laughing, finding the address of the players hilarious. Laughing? Yes. They <laughs> they bust into laughing because they're drunk. They're all going to laugh at you. They're all going to laugh at you. <laughs> it says laughing? Laughter. I was saying, okay, what's uh, is laughing like laughter? I think Mac got a little excited there. Yes, I, yes, I got a little excited with the laughter. It's laughter and laughing together. Laughing. Yeah. Is that? It's a new word. Okay. Yes. Like right epical. Podcast. Yep. Trademark podcast. <laughs> <laughs> On a five or seven, they just stare stare at you in a drunken stupor. Like, duh. It's only if you get a less than a five. At that point, the orcs start insulting you for three to 12 rounds. Then attack <laughs> if you're still there after they verbally assault you. That's awesome. They start telling your mama jokes. Exactly. <laughs> They start making fun of your pants. Oh, look at those pantaloons. Are they uh, Jamaican now? <laughs> uh, yeah, the, 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 they do have spears, but they always swing last at a minus four penalty because they are drunk. And then they, But if they want to just get past the uh, violence instigated by the orcs, they could offer more alcohol. <laughs> Yes, at which point the orcs eagerly accept, assuming the adventurers join in. <laughs> so you can get past the drunken orcs by drinking with them, as long as you're buying. I don't know, like, I think this this encounter isn't that bad, because I kind of imagine, like, the fighter with a bad attitude, like, on, like, the, the fourth round of being insulted, he just walks up and just... Starts clobbering them? Just clobbering one of the orcs. The, uh, orcs. Yeah. I, I'm just wondering... Which player will actually be the one to offer them a drink? I don't know. Maybe. And yeah. the in the group? Yeah. It'll be like, here. Or, or, or you have the drunken dwarf that's like, hey, I'm just going to start drinking their wine as they insult me. At which point, oh, they start bonding. <laughs> Great. Yeah. 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 And then eventually they'll get the... Lazambar's headquarters. It's a, along a narrow pathway. There's this huge rock. And then it actually has like a secret little tunnel. Welcome to the rock. Yes. Yes. And then the uh, at the top of this path, the opening of the rock leads to the cave that serves as his headquarters to, of operation to capture the halfling. So he actually made a headquarters for the system specific purpose of capturing this halfling. The statement that heals all wounds through time is untrue in this case because he's just gets he's really angry and bitter and as time passes he gets more angry and bitter over poor Melvin. I'm angry and bitter. Er, he's going nuts. I'm more oh, angry and Melvin. bitter. Melvin. 
Damn you, Melvin. <laughs> yeah, if the party doesn't have Melvin with them, you have to roll a 1d10 and subtract the number of halflings in the party. If the result is greater than one, he talks to the party briefly and will answer their questions. But if they have a I'm half- angry and bitter. <laughs> yes, I'm looking for this halfling. However, if you have a halfling in your group and you don't have Melvin with you, he thinks the halfling's Melvin. Because <laughs> he's kind of nuts. Yeah, I read that about the magician. He is crazy. Yeah, he's he just... likes playing dodging the. He likes playing dodging the arrows. Apparently, right? Because yeah, he has these orcs that are going to start at the back of the cave behind him. That'll fire volleys of arrows. Yeah. And as long as uh, Lanzambar is alive, they will fight. But once he dies, they're like, eh, we're done fighting. Yeah. We're done. And let's see. Each orc has a 1 to 20 silver pieces, and each archer has 2 to 7 extra quarrels in his quiver. So they can, they'll just, pretty much the entire combat, they're just going to be raining arrows at you. Hmm. So, yeah. And then, apparently... This wizard isn't too bright either because Melvin's hideout was like in an adjacent cave <laughs> hidden by a rock that actually oh, wow. took him to the back of the headquarters. <laughs> so Melvin could listen to all of his plans. Apparently, the Lanzabar never thought of employing a thief. <laughs> well, I guess he did employ one thief and he saw how well that went. Yeah. But yeah, at that point, once Mel uh, Lamzabar is deceased, uh, Melvin is happy, and uh, all is well, and he can go about his life. But yeah, and no one cares, and we kill the halfling anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yes, this actually suggests you make Melvin a. Henchman or ally of the party. Oh, oh yeah. Torchbearer. Yeah. Yeah. You're first, buddy. <laughs> right. Yes, because it says, and if he doesn't join the party, he returns to his hometown, marries his childhood sweetheart, and vows to never go adventuring again. Oh. Good. Yes. So everyone lives happily ever after. Except Lanzibar, who gets killed. Oh. Aw. Yeah, so now he is kind of evil. Yes, he is evil and insane. You actually want to kill yourself in that adventure. <laughs> yes, he's so evil he doesn't even have a maniacal laugh. He just says, maniacal laugh, maniacal laugh. <laughs> Nick, did you just did you just really make a Muppets reference? Yes, I did. <laughs> Nick, you just lost two copper pieces. Oh, hey. Give me all your bronze pieces. Yeah, you lost two bronze oh, pieces. Oh, no, not them. Don't take my bronze pieces, no. You know, Nick, I went through, when I was going through the back episodes of the shows, I actually calculated that you had gained 225 experience points since you started the show, and really? you gained exactly 347 Electrum pieces. Sweet. Since you started on the show. Awesome. Of all the times that I've given and taken away from you. I like Electrum. Yeah. How and much you, 240? I think I said that, yeah, 240. I don't remember where I wrote it down, but 240. Did yeah, you 240. actually track this? Yeah, because I was... 
And it was funny because as I was going through it, I heard the things and it said, oh, Nick, you just lost this. Nick, you gained this. I like so, that. Next adventure. Yeah. I'm actually looking forward to hearing about this one. This sounds pretty cool. Yeah, yeah this one was cool. The Eyes of Evil. The picture is pretty cool, too. Yeah. yeah. You get to fight a friggin' beholder. That's oh, awesome. Yeah, well, yeah. I can see the two fighters there. They're like, like oh, man. <laughs> Stuff's going down. Yep. Yeah, down this there. This is by Tom right Hickerson, <laughs> who is a sophomore at uh, Johnstown High School in Austin. Well, he was. Was. I'm pretty sure he's, he he's not a sophomore anymore. Oh, <laughs> oh he's from Austin. Okay, cool. Um, so what's the background on this? Well, first off, the characters need to be 10th or higher, because as the illustration shows, you'll be going up against a beholder. So this is, yeah, it said it's one paladin should be included. They also (laughs) need lots of magical items. No. Yeah. Who'd have thunk it? (laughs) But with this adventure... The the your adventurers stop at this town called Vinald. It's a small town to the south of this long stretch of mountains. And then as you're going through this town and you're sampling their dinner brandy, uh, a middle-aged elf comes up to you and then starts speaking to you. Your occupa- occupations have taken you far across the face of this world. Probably have you seen more treasure flow through your hands than would ever be seen by citizens. And then he basically is the uh, equivalent of the old man in the hooded cloak in the tavern that says, hey, I need you to do something for me. Yeah, I need you to do it, and that's your only option. Right. Because, you see, there's this band of manticores that have just been tormenting this town and holding it hostage. They did Basically, they're running a protection racket. The manticores come up, hey, you don't give us the gold, some bad thing's going to happen to your town. Yeah, let's just say you don't give us some gold, the uh, building burns down, your daughter, you know, falls down a flight of stairs, you know. Because, you hey. know, there's other monsters around, and you're going to need us to protect you. Yep. It's a tragic accident. It's very tragic. Yep. So they were dealing with the uh, Manticore protection racket. Then at that point, a bunch of black guard men started invading the village and taking whatever they wanted. So now they're being harassed on two different fronts. And they need the adventurers to go and stop the manacores because at this point they have no food other than what their clerics can create because these black garb bandits are taking it all. So they got nothing and they need your help. And apparently you're the only one. They've sent up other adventurers and they never came back. So instead of sending people they know, they're going to send people they don't know. That way if you don't come back, they don't care. So... Mm -hmm. As you venture off up into the mountains, you get to a series to the cave where the uh, mana cars are. You know, I do like the uh, some pretty nasty uh, random encounters on. The oh way. yeah, when when your random encounters consist of gargoyles, manticores, paritons, hierokaisphinxes, as I horribly mispronounce that. Trolls oh, that and- hurt my ears. Yes. Hira sphinxes uh, and giant wasps and trolls and trolls. Yes, definitely trolls. Giant wasps. My Anglo-Saxon wasps are up there. They're huge. But yeah. So, and that's 
because you have a 16-mile trek to get to these caves. Yeah. So those are the things you're going to be coming across on your way there. So in all likelihood, you're going to be kind of beat up. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, remember your 10th level, so you're not that beat up. And then there's basically a series of caverns that are all their limestone formations, and except for uh, a few of them that were widened and made larger via the telekinesis of our beholder friend. The telekinesis power. Yes, and apparently there, since it's limestone, it's also very fragile. And there's a severe chance of cave-in. So, oh, wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Basically, there's a 5% chance per die of damage for any, like, explosive spell. Like, if you set off a fireball. It's like man, a 5d6 man. fireball has a 50% chance of causing a cave-in. While a 10d6 lightning bolt will cause a cave-in. <laughs> <laughs> so, in all likelihood, you're probably going to be a part of a cave-in. Unless yep. you get lucky. Because it does give you a save to where you're not actually trapped. You just get hurt by the falling rocks. But if you, it says if you suffer over 20 hit points of damage in a cave-in, you're buried under the rubble, at which point you have a limited amount of air before you suffocate. <laughs> which, yeah, so you have 1d4 turns of air if, you're tr- if you take more than 20 points of damage in... Yep. A cave-in. And I'm looking through the actual, when you get to to the caves, just besides the ever-present danger of, like, cave-ins, if you use some nasty spells and what have you, there's some nasty encounters in here. Yeah, it's just... There's, it's, yeah. You got what, uh, a symbiotic right. jelly. Right. You have the obliviaxes. Yep. Eight manticores. Yeah. Eight manticores. At the same time? Yeah. yeah. Those are the manticores that have been holding the town hostage. Mm-hmm. I don't like that. I don't, right. I don't like that yep. at all. Then one Wolves. of the caverns is actually their waste cavern, where they dispose of all their waste. And yes. hidden in the refuge. Manticore poo. Yes. <laughs> and then. But, did you just giggle at that? Yes, I did. I giggled at manticore poo. <laughs> manticore poo. Yep. And then if you. And in that waste room, you have your rock grubs. Duty. Oh man, this guy's a dick. <laughs> yes, you see a duty in there. Then, like, yeah. So after you get through all diarrhea, freaking <laughs> rot grubs, rot grubs. Yes, rot grubs. I hate this guy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> manticore duty. Yeah. <laughs> then we also have the uh, the cultist, which are the uh, black the guys in black hoods that have been taking whatever they want. They're curates of dry neld. So you have to deal with them. And they're all priests, at which point they're casting various spells on you. And they also have a gong. If they hit, yep, they signal the gong. That alerts our beholder that, hey, there's intruders. At which point... That, yes, and once the gong has been hit, you now have the chance of a random encounter with our beholder. Oh, no. <laughs> Wonderful. Yes. It incre- <laughs> so much for, like, preparing for the big bad guy at the end. Right, yes, because it increases the chance of a random encounter to one in four for just your standard random encounters. And then Zacchaeus floats out of his lair and, it, and is accompanied by his 
Hyro Acro Sphinx Guards. Yep. Yeah. He's quite liberally, liberal, liberally in this adventure, those Sphinxes. Yes. Quite a few of them. And you got the cannons, you got the uh, yeah. the cannons of Draenald, you have Arkev, the High Priest, yeah. who's pretty nasty in himself. Then Varelda, the matriarch of Draenald. I mean, yeah. I mean, who has like and the volcanic shaft, which lives with what in there is a yes, the purple worm. Yes, yeah. and that's <laughs> and the purple worm is that actually the one who guards all the treasure. Yeah. So you have to go into the realm of the purple worm just to get all the stuff. Like, of course, a sixteen-year-old wrote this adventure, right? <laughs> yes, and the it the thing is, you have to cl- climb a wall to get to it, and it's minus fifteen percent chance to a thieves' skill to make this climb, and it's nearly impossible for anyone else. It's a three hundred. The bottom of the shaft is lies three hundred and fifty feet below the tunnel. Shaft twenty d six HP damage. Like, I just, I have this image of, like, Tom Hickerman, and he's got, like, a mullet, and he's wearing, like, an Iron Maiden shirt, <laughs> and he's just, uh, he's like, that'll teach them to play the game with me. <laughs> I'm gonna put in a purple worm and all these sphinxes. I'm gonna have rot grubs in the sphinx poo. <laughs> like, why? So, like, rot grubs, you have to reach into the area where they are for them to be able to, like... <laughs> Attach them and then kill you in a round because that's what rock ropes do. But it's <laughs> what what reason do the PCs have for reaching in to Manticore feces? <laughs> Maybe they yeah. think there's some treasure in the poo. I've done that before. I I have to admit, yeah, there there are some parties they'll they'll dig through feces and filth and Lord knows what else because it's like, hey, you know what? Look at all this filth. There's got to be an Otiug living in there. So <laughs> let's let's go in there and see what's in there. <laughs> yeah. And once you get to. That's why I think I hear some people say, you know what adventure parties are? They're hobos with weapons and magic spells. Yeah. <laughs> and, and just wait till they get to this treasure. Lots and lots of lots treasure. Lots of treasure. 3,482 silver pieces. 619 platinum, 8 gems worth 500 gold each, 2 gems worth 100 gold each, 9 gems worth 50 gold each, 5 gems worth 10 gold each, a golden cup covered with gems worth 3,000 gold, an emerald encrusted necklace worth 8,000 gold, a staff of curing, a hand axe plus 1. If they search through the worm's castings, they find a lock steel box containing 548 gold, a suit of scale mail plus 2, a longsword plus 1, Plus three versus regenerating creatures. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they hit the lottery. Yeah, yeah pretty much good stuff. If they live, if they yeah. live, if be- they live, because exactly. they have still have Zekus, our beholder, who who first uses an anti magic ray first, then he uses charm, telekinesis, and death ray and slow spells. Because if the gong was sounded, that's because he's basically hovering over this area waiting for you. And yeah, and, and he also has guards with him that will attack the flying PCs. And it, you, let's see. And if he starts, if this 
battle starts going against him, he starts using fear and levitates upwards over the edge of the volcano crater because, oh yeah, his cave's in a volcano. Mm-hmm. So, like, one thing I really like about this adventure is it is kind of like this quintessential, like, old-school D&D, uh, D&D adventure. Yeah. Where, like, you fight, like, mythological creatures in a volcano. And you just, you kill, like, some huge monster behemoth and get all the gold. Mm-hmm. And, I don't know, like, I, I, I like I, that. The only thing I didn't like was the, the, the new god that he introduced, Draenald. I mean, I thought that was like, why introduce a new god when it's got to follow deeds and disease? What, you just couldn't pick up a deities and demigods and use something out of there? I mean... Um, I think it's like, because Draenald looks like a beholder, so... Oh, okay. That's why the the cult was following Zekka. Zekka's, oh, I see. Yeah, they, they, worshipped, they worshipped him because he charmed them into being their... His little minions. So, oh, I see. Yeah, because Draenald does like to take the form of a beholder. I got it now. Understood. Word. Yep. And then, <laughs> so once the party defeats Zekus, then they return to the town. At which point, there was a giant celebration, and the townspeople. Yeah, the townspeople want to hear the story, and Ewoks start dancing yeah. and. Pretty much. Jump, jump. Da, 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 da. Oh, and then, then the mayor also reminds him, um, yeah, all that gold, you need to return to us because we need it to live. Yeah, it's sour. Just the gold. I, like if I, I was playing 14, this adventure. I have 14,000 uh, bronze pieces you can have, though. <laughs> like, no. I would tell the mayor to try to take it from me. Yeah. We just killed a beholder, a whole bunch of sphinxes, manticores, and we had to and dig a purple through their worm. Pur- purple worm and dig through their poo. Take it. <laughs> Bring it. <laughs> okay. That's your uncle for digging through the poo, Nick. Yeah. Mm. Diarrhea. Gotcha. <laughs> so what else do we have left? So and our last one is Herward's task. This Starring is... the buffest wizard to ever exist. Oh, yes. <laughs> He's definitely on the gas. Okay, yeah, because this one was written at the time by a high school sophomore in Iowa City. Yes, it was. Yes, Rich, it was. Rich Stump. Yeah. And the basic premise of this story is there's a very powerful wizard who's doing some experiments with elementals and screwed up big time and summoned an elemental he couldn't control who yes. then proceeded to t- take over his uh, sanctuary, and he now needs you players to clean up his mess. Because I love what Rich says here. He wrote the adventure as a way to get back at all those thoughtless adventurers who enjoy looting and totally <laughs> destroying every dungeon they enter. <laughs> yes. Destroy the battle hobos. Because you see, Her- Herward has a lot of servants. Some kobold, some humans. He doesn't want any of them killed. And he puts that as is a specific requirement and even makes you sign a contract saying you will not kill them. Also, he said, don't take any of my stuff. <laughs> if you take in, oh, you can man. use anything you want in there. Don't take it. If you take it, there's going to be problems. And he actually even put in the adventure that he has a near photographic memory and remembers everything he has. 
and you act, there's actually a percentile roll per day roll to see if he remembers a specific item. At which point, once he does, he comes after the players and asks for it back. <laughs> and he's nice. a 15th level magic user. You're not messing with him. No. No. Oh, I know where everything is. You can't touch it, so don't touch it. Me! Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah pretty good. Break. But, yeah, this one had... When you get into his lair, it is huge. I mean, yeah, when I like, say huge, it has like 80 different rooms. Lots of good maps. Lots of good maps. Yeah. There's a lot of really good stuff in here. Holy like, cow, this is ginormous. I wouldn't it's, run this, but I would definitely steal some of the rooms. It's oh, right. written, and this should looks like it might have been on the cusp of becoming an actual module once that big. Yeah. 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 I just there's And they're just so random. There's the fungus forest room. It's a large chamber that looks like a nightmare. Mold and fungus grow everywhere. Oh, this, I love that. This you is where, this is his experimental garden where he grows fungus. Due to neglect, the garden has gotten out of hand and some dangerous strains have cropped up. The players ha- that mm. leave the pass have a 25% chance per round of encountering a plant monster, at which point it could be violet fungus, green slime, russet mold, yellow mold, brown mold, obliviac moss. Oh, man. You would think this guy with his OCD of not touching any of the stuff would be cleaning this crap up, but, you know, he doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, then there's, next to that was the fungus maintenance room where the tools and fertilizer are. Fungus, fungus maintenance fungus room. Fungus maintenance. That's, that's, that's just, that takes it right there. Yeah. What well, you gotta go do? Uh, I gotta perform some maintenance on the uh, fungus next door. I gotta door. go trip my fungus. You gotta, yes. you know, clean up the uh, mushrooms and uh, the molds, you know, that thing. Yeah. And, and in that trim. room, there's a wand of defolation. What? Yeah. Yeah, that's how he trims the fungus. Yeah. With he defoliates fo- it. Yeah, he defoliates it. Nice. And it's kept in a locked poison needle trapped iron box. Save versus poison at minus two, or you take 66 hit points damage. Yeah, nice. I mean, he doesn't want some, like, kobold going in there, like, messing with his fungus yep. collection. Right. Like, his 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 bonsai funguses. <laughs> He's like Mr. Miyagi here. Yeah. Right. I mean, he's got a marble garden with many exotic and beautiful flowers. Does he grow his own marble? Yeah. I guess so. He's got a huge marble bench in there that's worth 5,000 gold, but is 750 pounds. Okay. (laughs) It's six feet long, two feet high. Oh, yeah. And then there's a dead guardsman holding a shattered sword. Slumped against the bench, he has fourteen gold in his pouch. I can you steal that stuff? Like, is that okay? I don't know. He may even count the dead bodies. I, he's got that photographic memory, you know. He's like that's true, right? At least he will remember that the guy was already dead, as opposed to blaming the death on you. Because yeah, don't kill his guards, even if they do attack you. Um, you he just has like an inventory of all the dead things. <laughs> yes. Yes. And well, this died when I was there last. Oh yeah, they died too. Okay. Yeah. Right. Checklist going on. Yeah. He's got. So a... I, I did a a quick check. This is a nineteen page adventure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it is long. very very it's close bordering to the module. Regular module, really. Right. Mm-hmm. And most of it is just filled up detailing every possible room that would be in this guy's uh, fortress. I mean, there's a portrait room with 16 portraits of them. That's all that's in the room. There's just I love this. I'm going to use this adventure. 
<laughs> I mean, just for stealing the layout in the rooms, yeah. it's great. I, I love some of the, the, the descriptions, though. That stuff is great. Right. He's got a crazy stuff. He's got a lounge with upholstered chairs, chairs upholstered in velvet that are 1200 gold each trophy, a museum hall, Maplewood couches. If you needed furniture, this is your guy. See, though, I would take away the whole, you can't kill or destroy anything in here. I would redesign this somehow. Yeah. I drop all that whole thing. uh, There's a purpose to this, you know, right? Yeah. Go on. Yeah. Uh, and as you just go through it. There's more. You come across his botany lab. Apparently, he really was into plants. <laughs> I love the description of room 49. Room <laughs> 49. Empty chamber. <laughs> this chamber is currently empty. There's nothing of interest in it, in it unless the PCs are intrigued by blank walls and dusty floors. <laughs> I love that. It's like. Yeah, it's like, I'm just putting this room in here for no reason. It's just like a whole screw you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You almost want to hear the author's backstory on how horrible his players were. I know. I know. Well, like, again, this was written by, like, a 16-year-old. Eventually, you'll come across a death alchemist, Arnex. He's preparing some dust of appearance. In a lab, and then he has lemon flavored healing potions. Mm. Yeah, someone was drinking Sprite one night. Yeah, or lemonade. He's then you can also hit his winery. He has a nice wine storage room with twenty barrels full. Well, at least he had good taste. Yeah, yeah. sophisticated, you know. Sit next to a slushy room there with a yeah. yellow tasting stuff. I, yeah, there's all just there's all a slushy of... room. No, no, I was kidding. I was <laughs> no. kidding. <laughs> then then you get into the li- a library that it actually has a bunch of books on the shelves. And, pl- of course, the players are going to go through it. One of them, however, is labeled Do Not Open. Oh, jeez. Okay. Every player is running to that book. It's a red yes. book that says Do Not Open with a 15-level fire trap that explodes. <laughs> oh, God. If like, they open it. you have that in your library? Well, I guess, like... He knows what's in that, and he knows not to open it. Would you open mm-hmm. your, says do not open because you have a trap in it? Would you? <laughs> like, why does he have that book? Why does that book exist? To, 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 to screw with people, apparently. Right. Apparently then there's so. a there's also a black book that all it does is cause readers to make a save versus spell or take a minus one penalty to all saves until remove curse is cast. Ugh, an annoyance. Yeah, all the, and all the curse books are actually kept in curios. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I like Cheerios for breakfast. Oh, sorry. no, Cheerios, not Cheerios. Oh. Sorry, sorry. It, it does say, however, though, he's not as good about remembering his books. Any book taken, it'll be eight plus one D eight days before he remembers they're gone. Oh, sure. A book he doesn't remember, which is easy to remember, but pff, the friggin dust on the ground. He's like, I saw you move that speck. <laughs> yeah, well, he has uh, a. Well, he does have approximately twenty. No, actually, it says no less than twenty thousand leather band bound volumes in here. Oh my gosh! It's twelve foot high bookcases, take filling the entire room. If I was a PC in this game, I'd be like, "Thank God, there's a normal room here." <laughs> yeah, and then then near that, there's also a study 
at which point he has some gnomish works in it. And there's some four humans sitting at a table just wondering what to do against the elemental. So these are people that can actually help you. The dude's just like, man, I don't know what we're going to do about this elemental. <laughs> <sighs> I don't know. It's just depressing. We can't figure anything out. You guys, so, we, we got to do something about this elemental. Yeah, I think we do. Yeah, I think it's... we need to talk about what we need to do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, jeez. And then it just it just keeps going on and on. We have another checkered room, checkerboard room. Oh, cool. So You got to have one of those. Oh, yeah. And with this, one color is trapped. The other's not. So you have mm. that. You'll take uh, 1d8 hit points if you step in the wrong spot in damage. Then you hit his sanctuary. Sanctuary! Which, it says it has, he has a nice black velvet curtain that's like, (laughs) stretches from ceiling to floor, 30 feet from wall to wall, worth 6,000 gold. It has an encumbrance value of 3,000 gold. Basically, this entire... Adventure is just spelling out how much stuff he has and how much it's worth to tempt the players to take it. Take it, yeah. That's all yeah. it is. It's just, hey, look at all this nice stuff. It could be yours if you grab it. Could be yours. Could but be yours. Because he'll remember. Right. Well, I think he'd see you, like, taking his 300-pound curtains. <laughs> all of a sudden, you're ta- you have his 750-pound bench. What's it, 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 why is my bench on your back, Nick? Nick, Nick, huh? what? Huh? Why did you take my bench? What? What bench? The bench. I don't know what you're talking what, about. Well, you, well, I don't see a bench. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> look, look over there. Ah! <laughs> look, something shiny. Ooh. Yeah. But eventually, the players will come across the air elemental, and it's a special air elemental because it's her words, air elemental. It's got 16 hit dice. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Only one attack doing 5 to 30 points of damage. It's got whirlwind and wind blast. You have to have plus two weapons to hit it. All right. And, uh, yeah. It's very angry. Very angry. Well, if you had four people talking about it in a room for that long, you'd be angry, too. Right. And the thing is, with this, you can actually talk to the area elemental as well. If you can help him get home... He'll work with you. You don't have to fight him. Uh, Because there is a... If you can get the Rod of Cancellations hit in his... Her words, complex, you can use that as as well as... Or cast Dismissal from Her words, Spellbook upon the creature, and he goes home. He just wants to go home. That's all. It's like E.T. Yeah. A.E. Home. <laughs> so all the air elemental. He just wants to go home. He's not a bad elemental. He just wants to go home. He's misunderstood. Exactly. So you could either do combat oh, with him, or you could help him go home. And just sure, don't... I'll help you go home. I'll kill you. Right. <laughs> yeah. so. his, nickname, his nickname is Febreze. Yeah. Febreze. <laughs> But yeah, this adventure is very much the whole purpose is just to tempt your players to take a bunch of stuff. I mean, yeah. that's really it. I mean, I like the layout though. There's some really neat rooms and some 
stuff I could definitely see myself stealing, but as for subjecting my players to it, I know they'd probably... I could do it. No. No. Especially if they had bags of holding. <laughs> Forget it. Right. They they would just loot the place blind and be like, we don't know what happened. It was all gone when we got there. Oh, my God. I told you about my players. If it's not bolted down, they'll take it. And even if it is bolted down, they'll figure out how to take the bolts out. I think and then your players it. are exactly who this is for. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? They would figure a way out. They're the type of the, – my party is the type of ones where – we don't go to any dungeon unless we have a wagon or a cart to haul crap away with. We have that, and we have hirelings to protect the cart. So, <laughs> and as far as like him, not like saying, um, "Oh yeah, we'll sign a con- contract." <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> contract. Sure. <laughs> contract. Schmontract. <laughs> So what's concluding this adventure? Is there? Do they have any wrap up for it at the end? Well, um, yeah. If you steal too much, and you go back to ask him for a reward, he'll like ask you to take it, and he'll deduct pay from you. Um, and if you've stolen any magical or extremely valuable goods, he'll threaten to kill you, or so, turn you into like a frog or something. So, like after the adventure's over, he goes around with a clipboard and checks everything off. <laughs> Yeah, he runs through and inventories everything. It says that he might follow them. Um, could you he see might. his head behind a corner watching you going, I'm keeping an eye on you. Uh, and then um, if you raid his home and flee, he will, uh, he'll chase you down. Oh, really? And yep. He will find you. And then if you happen to not take any of his stuff, you now have a new friend. Yeah, you get like a feast. So it's not really worth it right. to not steal stuff. And then you kill honestly. him at the feast, so you take all the stuff anyway. What, what's his what's right. his stats like? Oh. Do any major stats for him? Oh, he is a fifteenth level. Where is it? Oh, no. I don't remember seeing actual stats yeah. for him. That's what I was wondering if they actually put it in, because I could just see my group. Oh here it is, yeah. AC 1, move 12, magic is 15, 37 HP, damage by weapon type. Um, two, two, ring of protection plus 3. This is, right. He doesn't have all of his spells memorized because he wasted some of them trying to do combat with the air elemental. But he has friends, light, read magic, ESP, knock, web, fly, protection from normal missiles, polymorph self, wizard's eye, pass wall times 2, legend lore. Legend? Well, at that feast that you were talking about, mm-hmm. it's where he had the thief in the party poison his food and drink. Yeah. <laughs> Kill him. Done with it. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. Or What? Why did everybody get silent on that? Yeah. He al- <laughs> he also has bracers of defense, AC4, ring of protection plus three, and it also says you should provide him with two to five additional magic items. <laughs> So, yeah. A DM could have a little fun with that. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. But yeah, this is pretty much a screw your players adventure. Necklace yeah. of fireballs. Another <laughs> necklace of fireballs. <laughs> and a ring of uh, anti-magic shell. Yeah. And you know what the this best part... This is why part... I say you poison the guy. You know what the best part of this adventure is after the last page? Hmm. Uh, 
You turned to the Snarf- last one. Snarfquest. Yay. The book. Yes. So that's dungeon number five. I, I kind of like that dungeon. Oh, yeah. I like that very last adventure. That is very cool. Yeah, the last adventure was actually pretty good. It's It would be a long one. Yeah, it's definitely yeah. not a quick little one shot. This is more of a... You're going to be spending some time because you have like 90 different yeah, rooms I, to explore. Yeah, I think Vince was right. That was one that you could almost consider publishing that one. It's almost long enough. Yeah. I think it might have been on the cusp and then maybe the last minute they pulled it out because it wasn't enough pages or it didn't look right or who knows back then. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, lots of ideas to steal from all the adventures, though. You can only- oh, yeah. one of the many resources to steal adventure ideas from our encounters. That's the whole point of what Dungeon Magazine was. And yeah, longer it, is, it's gone, but yeah, and especially considering your players are unlike if you stole from modules, your players probably haven't read Dungeon. Yeah, that's true. People like Nick who didn't even bother with it because they you know they looked at it and went. I poo-poo your dungeon. Yeah, I was actually, I remember when they split up with Dungeon Magazine. I remember I was actually kind of dismayed at that. I'm like, man, no more, like, Adventures in Dragon Magazine. Now what? Like, now they want me to spend more money. <laughs> yeah, and then they had the Polyhedron no. Magazines, which you didn't, you know, you weren't part of the cool club, so you never got to read those either, so. No, I no. wasn't part of the cool geeks, apparently. Which had even more adventures in it for just about everything that TSR published. Yeah, but I didn't know what I was missing at the time. So hey, and now you do. Now I do. Yeah. Damn. So Dungeon Magazine Five, great resource. We just wanted to show you how good it could be to steal adventures out of there, find encounters out of them, things that people probably haven't read over the years. So, meh. <laughs> so meh. I thought so, it was pretty cool. No, it was really good. Yeah. Yeah. It gets to highlight the youth of America, apparently, in this edition, because a lot of high schoolers are writing. Yeah. Yeah. People really young, so it's cool. Anyway, I guess that's going to you know conclude the show for this week. Uh, yep, I think you're right. Yeah. So volume three, issue 113, could be come to a close, and we say keep it original, keep it old school, and we wish Crispy the best luck on his show. Yeah, thanks. Yes. And you can find Crispy at uh, criticalwits.info or criticalwit.info. Critical wits. Wits with cool. an S. Yes. Yeah. .info, and uh, you have an email address for Critical Wits? Yeah, it's uh, criticalwits at gmail.com. And there you go. Or you can go to our osrgaming.org and go into the forums and leave a message and Crispy will respond to it there too. Or we will at the podcast, rfistaff at gmail.com. 570-865-4210. you have a hotline, Chris? Uh, no, no. We don't, we don't do all that. Oh, excuse me? No, it's just I don't know how to do all that. And also I don't have you a lot of money pick up a phone and dial a number. Oh. <laughs> Nick. <laughs> Why? Any- I'm sorry. <laughs> keep it original, keep it old school. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night, everyone. Thanks, night. Crispy. Thanks, Nick. You're welcome. And only Nick. Roll for initiative.